Why not see what all the fuss is about and visit Arcade Club at the UK's largest classic video and pinball arcade. Now open Saturdays and Sundays. Search Arcade Club on Google or Facebook to find them, or see links in the podcast notes on our site. Hello and welcome to the Tenpence Arcade Podcast. We are a podcast about arcade games from the past. And my name is Victor Marland, aka Vertvic, on the interwebs, and I am one of the hosts of this podcast. I'm Sean Holly, aka In Your Face, Sean Holly, and I am the other other host. You are indeed. I am. And what we usually do to start off the show is tell everyone what we've been up to. So, okay, old chum, what have you been up to the last two weeks? Well, the well. main thing the main thing I've been doing, Vic, I've been to play Margate, which is quite a long way for me. Yes, it was a 600-and-something round trip for you, Miles. 670 miles, but I did tie it in with a visit to my mum's, which ah. was sort of halfway down, so that was nice. Yep. So my mum and my little niece, so that's good. Cool. Yeah, play, play Margate, very good. Yep. One of the good things they did, which I haven't seen before from, you know, it's a typically well-organised play event. event. Yeah. Yeah, they had these, like, banks of consoles or computers, like, of certain themes. So you had, like, Tomb Raider, and you had Tomb Raider 1 on PS1, Tomb Raider 2 on PS1, and then it would move up, and you'd get, you'd get something on the 360, and, and right to PS4, the latest version. Oh, right. So you can see the natural progression of the game. Yeah, and they did that with, like, Sonic and Mario. There was a Star Wars one, which was good, because there was... I think it was a GameCube one, which I really liked. I can't remember the name. It was Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron? I've heard of that. Something like that. I know of it. They had one of those in the Star Wars lineup, so that was good. Nice. Did they have a cab at the very start? No. Oh, that's a shame. That would have been a good one. They missed that, sadly. But they're not easy to find, are they? No. I've also been playing R-Type Leo a lot. I'm really into that. You do like that, don't you? You've got to save your pennies if you want to buy a PCB. Uh, is that one expensive? Oh, is it? yes. That's a 300 quid PCBR. <laughs> is it? Wow. Yeah, they're quite sought after because it's a good game. Mm. I think all the R types are quite expensive because they're really, really good games. Mm. But, but you, it... can, you can get um, another Irem game called, uh, I think it's Golfing Greats, is it? Or one of the great golf games. And you right. can modify it into an R type. And that's what they call a par type. Get it? I've heard of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a sort of cheap way of doing it. But even those golf boards. Of raised in price because people do that to them, which is probably the best thing to do to a golf game, really, isn't it? Yeah, there's not very many good ones. Mm, indeed. Um, I've got a few other bits, but what have you been doing first? Well, I've been playing Mr. Dorira with the oh, wife. You... That's, that's how you pronounce it. Mr. Dorira uh, with the wife on proper hardware. We love oh, the game. Cool. We really like it. And that's why she chose it, I think. So I've been playing that in the garage with her, which is really nice having a little play chum in the garage with me. Mm, yeah. Slammed it in a pony. Oof! In the, oh, proper hardware. <laughs> Lovely. That was my pony. I've also noticed, uh, I got an email the other day, we're a Home Leisure Direct annual games blog top award winner, top 40 award winner. I saw that. That's good, it's isn't cool, it? cool, isn't it? This was um, Scott Flea, and the guy who sent us some of his blogs. Yes. And I have uh, published on our website, and a link to it on the show notes, his second part of it, because I forgot to do it ages ago, and I probably will publish his other blogs as well, because they're a really good read. So I'll put that in the links. But it's nice to be recognised, I think. It's got loads of other cool stuff, and I think Retro Gamer on there, and some of our p- podcast friends, and other cool stuff, which I must check out, actually, because there's a load of stuff I didn't know about. 
Mm. I think yes. it's all sort of hobby, video game, nerdy related type of thing. So it's all good stuff. Is that our first award, is it, do you think? I think it must be, yeah. Yeah, it's That's pretty good. great, isn't it? Yeah. We don't get a little cup or anything, which would be quite nice, but mm. I don't mind. It's just recognition. I love it. It's really nice <laughs> that, for people to think of us, I think. Yeah, thank you. I have also been in the garage while wife was playing on my machine. Hmm. Been fiddling with Space Jewel again because I got some, uh, I ordered some pins up to make a little loom. So I might just finish that off this weekend because I didn't get a chance to finish it because I was too busy trying to watch wife play and I wanted a game as well. So I will try and finish it off and just check if this flipping board works or not. Cause I've been so long trying to check it out. And there's so many things you've got to do extra to the cabinet to make it work. Cause they're not exactly the same style hardware, but hopefully mm. it should work. Okay. And uh, we'll have to see, but I might have to send it off for repair. I don't know. Whatever. Mm. I also had on the Saturday after Margate last week on the Sunday, I asked Sarge around. He'd come around for a visit because he doesn't live too far away from me. I picked him up from the bus stop. And uh, showed him out in the arcade. We nerded out. Played Death Race. He liked that. He didn't beat me either. He was pretty good, but he didn't beat me. <laughs> uh, and I think he's going to get hooked on Mr. Driller. So I showed him Mr. Driller 1. And I showed him Mr. Driller 2 as well. Because I've got them in the same stack of PCBs all together. And he quite liked mm. He said, well, I might have to get this. And I think he's watching one on eBay at the moment. So, yeah. so that would be pretty good. I also showed him a bunch of my consoles with the smart card solutions. You know, the SD card like disk drives on them. Yep. Uh, I think he's already bought a Spectrum and a Commodore 64 on the back of that. Right. So right. he's getting right into that. But I think he had them as a kid as well. He's like us. He had them when he was a kid. But I think I might be a bad influence on his wallet. Sorry, Sarge. <laughs> also, on Friday before, I visited another friend, Adrian, uh, who's got a... Uh, he's well into video games, more of the consoles, but he does have a Naomi cab, a really, really nice Naomi cabinet with a really beautiful monitor. It's a, a different kind of monitor than normal. And it's mm. a really nice resolution. I think it's a slightly higher res than VGA. Um, but it's a really nice picture. I'm quite envious of it. And when he moved house, he moved into his new house. I think Alex helped him. He's, he put his pony back together because he had to take it all apart to get it in there. Cause it's all get sort of modular. Yeah, yeah, it's quite modular, those things. And his sound didn't work. So I was fiddling around with that. And I, I think I, I plumbed his, his main PC, which is inside his cab and the cab power together. So it's only one plug rather than two plugs. I sort of plumbed them in together. Yeah. Uh, so, so you just switch one on at the wall and everything comes on rather than putting Absolutely. two plugs out of the cab and all sort of nonsense. And I think the problem in the end was just a wonky sound pot because he had one before. I think I gave him another sound, a little board that goes in a Naomi with all the sort of, um, buttons on it for the picture. And it's also got the sound volume control because I think his volume control went funny. Mm. And I gave him one and it thinks it's the same problem again. So it must be a common problem. So I sorted that out and we went to play a few games. I thought I was to play some games over here and I played, I think I went to play Sky Kid. And it was really, really choppy. So when you held the joystick and let go of it, it would still carry on upwards for a few seconds. And I was like, that is not right. What's going on? He said, oh, I don't know. I don't really play the older games. He plays sort of 90s games. Yeah. He said, oh, the games I play are fine. He showed me Street Fighter 3, and that was absolutely fine. And I think Strikers 1945 was okay. And we tried another game. We played Dig Dug or something, and that was doing exactly the same. I was like, there's something wrong here, mate. And I said, let's have a look at your main mini. And I was looking at some main mini. Uh, Initial, is it initialization files? Any files, mm, whatever. Yeah. Which tell MAME what to do and how to do it. And I said, oh, what's wrong? This is really different. So I've edited loads of it. And I said, oh, that's probably the problem. So he was looking around for different things and nothing would help it. And in the end, I said, right, you've got the original one. Yeah. He said, okay. So renamed his one and put the original one back in. Absolutely fine. So if in doubt, go back to default and then retrace your steps to put your, your things back and you'll find the, the, I think he did something to do with the graphics and then the different syncs. That's why it was going a bit funny. Right. Because yeah. we, we were running it in main with just the command line as well. And when you finish, you press escape, 
it tells you how many frames percentage it's running. They were running at 99%, which isn't right. Because mm. the, the games we're playing were old games, and it's Pentium, I think it was a Pentium 4, was more than and powerful enough to run these games. But it was somehow, it was that 1% which is a lag in, and then in the end we found it's fine, it was 100%, so all was good. Mm. But he, uh, he, he set his, his horrible beasts on me. I got bitten to death by mosquitoes. Squeetos. Mosquitoes. <laughs> Horrible things. Well, we went on his conservatory and it sort of backed onto his nice new garden he's got. And I didn't notice anything was going on. Didn't notice I was getting bit. We didn't see any in the air. You know, it wasn't like, oh God, we better shut the door. And it's getting a bit dark and he hasn't got any lights in there yet. And so it's getting a bit dull. As I was going at the end of the night, I put my toolbox away and everything, you know, sort of finishing everything off. And I thought, oh, I've got an itchy arm. I sort of swear, oh God, I've been bitten by a flipping mosquito, you. And he said, oh no, sorry about that. You know, it wasn't his fault. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I went home and I found another four bites. Yeah. I had loads of them. And the next day, on the Saturday, when you were at, at Play Margate, they came up massive. They were like big welts. I was like, oh my God, there's something wrong. And my wife was quite concerned. Oh, you got, you got the doctor. I said, come on, it's only a mosquito bite. But I don't think, I don't normally get them. So I think my body might be not that used to it. And I felt quite rough for the whole day. I don't know if it's a mosquitoes or not. Poisonous mosquitoes. Oh dear. Horrible things. But they're just, just just about gone now, which is a week, nearly a week later. Yeah, horrible things. I think I'll take my uh, citronella thing around me next. I'm going to keep them away. Mutants. Horrible, bitey mosquitoes. Mm. Horrible. One thing I forgot to mention about Margate, I did a little tiny, inter- well, a little tiny talk with James RGP about the arcade section. Good old James. There. Yeah. So we'll put that a bit in here. Hello, I'm sat here with James RGP. It's the end of a very long knackering day. What do you think the most popular game of your setup's been today? Funny enough, and a bit of a surprise actually, Karate Champ, which is super old, two-player, head-to-head, vertical fighting game. That has probably been the most popular game next to Point Blank, which is always a really popular game. Yeah, it's guns. Least popular, probably Quartet. It's a poor man's gauntlet, basically. It's cartoony it's, style, yeah. isn't it? It's not a bad game, it's just that... If I had a spare gauntlet I could bring, that would have just had people yeah. addicted all. And I know it would because I've been watching comments on various Facebook pages and stuff, people asking us to bring a gauntlet machine. So I guess I've got to find the one that we've got tucked away somewhere and, and, and fix the board and everything else and get it all put back together and it can go on the uh, on the higher list. John's doing well at the moment, John Studley on Pac-Man. Uh, yeah, he's... He's I think he's on his third attempt today, isn't he? But it's open late, so he's still got a chance of finishing it. And I also had a little talk with Chris Poibug. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Poibug is his forum name from Northern Lights Pinball, which I was we say shall. That sounds Norwegian or something. Poibug. No, he's not Norwegian. I think he's from Burnley or something. <laughs> okay, that's definitely not Norwegian. Which we'll put in here. But, you know, we're going down well, the pins a bit. See how we do, don't we? Yeah. What's the one that's been doing the best? White Water? I'm not sure. I mean, the haunted house freaks people out because it's got three layers. Yeah. And um, I'm going to tell them that there's only three done like that. It's got multiple. Most of them don't have it. They're like, oh, that's quite original. Mm. They like the NBAs. The NBAs are linked. It's the only pinball ever made that could ah, be linked. Right. So yeah. when you're having a multiball, your mate's having a multiball. When he's having Hot Dog Mania, he's having that. So it's the only game ever done out of hundreds of games made that can do that. I think everybody likes kicking a mate's ass in real time rather than normal pinball is have a two-player game, you have your ball, then I have mine. It's not quite the same. Yeah. So that seems to seems to go down well. We got a raffle, I don't know if you've heard. The latest 
pinball coming out from Jersey Jack, who did Wizard of Oz. Yeah. He's the Hobbit. And we've, we're selling raffle tickets. Tenner a pop to win the... It's about eight grand resale price. Wow, yeah. And all profit from that goes to a Teenage Cancer Trust, which oh, we've been cool. supporting ever since we've done the show. The, we're enthusiastic. We love pinball. We want other people to see it. And if one person is here and plays pinball and decides that they love it now, and down the line they'll buy one from somewhere. Brilliant. That's, we've yeah. done our job. That's 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 why we, you know, why we do it. Excellent stuff. Yeah, so as I said, it was a good time, it was a good day. I did miss, I saw the start, we're going to talk about this later on, I saw the start of something very special, which Ooh, we'll yes. talk about, but yes, I missed indeed. the ending, I missed the ending because I left. And it took so we'll, over six hours. Yes, that'll yes. be a big clue to everybody, won't it? Mm-hmm. Tell you what else I've done. What have you done? Myself. Mm-hmm. I've rotated the monitor in my cab. Rotatey, rotatey. Yeah. And I didn't drop it and nothing exploded and I've fitted it back together. And then I put 1942 PCB in that Sarge gave me. Ooh. And then Mark Singy came around, my friend Mark from Arcade Club, and he's, fit, he's, he's made sure that everything fits right. He's put a one uh, credit button on. Oh, nice. He's beefed up the power supply a little bit. He's changed the joystick, uh, not the joystick, the button configuration. That's right, yeah, because it was set up for Neo Geo, which is slightly an odd, odd uh, way around of doing it, isn't it? Yeah, if you look at the buttons, there's four buttons, and it's like an L shape that's been yes. rotated 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. So the bottom part of it is the fire button, but to reach button two, you've got to press above the fire button, which I yeah. found difficult. Yeah, especially with like it's like it's like your your right hand thumb button, isn't it? And then your, mm. your index finger is button one normally. So you swap them two round or something. Yeah, so he's changed Excellent. it so. Button one, two, and three is at the top, and button four is that one below it. He also sorted your sound out, because I think it was set to, for MVS sound, and he's, he's sorted that out now to Jammer. Yeah, that's fine now. Brilliant. Yeah. Very, very loud and juicy sound, yeah. So you've been playing 1942 non-stop then? I haven't. I haven't played a lot. I've just what? been... Shame on you! Working a lot and tired, and yeah, I've not I've not been gaming a lot this, this last couple of weeks, but I'm going to remedy that. It has whizzed by, hasn't it? I mean, I've been, mm. I've been busy with work, I've been tired, my back hurts, you know, blah, blah, boring life stories, no gaming. But we have been sort of, we played a bit on the PCB, and I said to the wife, let's go and put the, the PCB in the cab and play it properly. And at one point, she was on the pony to the left, on the horizontal one, playing the PCB. I was on the middle cabinet, which is the Naomi with Mame in it, playing it on there, and it was it was a notif- noticeable difference. Really? I, think, I think I've got an older version of Mame in there, and it wasn't running very quickly. And it was like wading through treacle. She was whizzing by, you know, whizzing, block, 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 block down. And I was just mm. like, oh, this is not the same. And she had to go to, oh, no, that's horrible. And we had to stop playing it because it just wasn't anywhere near the same. Wow. But the version I've got now is, is the same speed. It's better. But it's always better on a cab, I believe. Yeah. So that's pretty mm. cool. I haven't done anything more with my Mame mini cab development yet. I haven't had time, but... I've, as I said last time, I've got MAME working on the Raspberry Pi 2. Yeah. Okay, you just need to shove it in there and sort of assess, assess the buttons and, and the sound. Uh, and yeah, thing. just plug a few wires in, I think, and then a bit of sellotape and that would be all right. A bit of twine. <laughs> bit of twine. A bit of garden yeah. twine, some duct tape, yeah. i tell you what the highlight of the last two weeks has been, though. What's that? I have seen, I have viewed the Mighty Mighty Pixels movie, Vic. Oh, God. Pixels. Little oh. pixels. Adam Sandler, sublime. A nuanced a nuanced performance from the young man there. And yeah. also that little guy from Game of Thrones. Yes. 
He was excellent. Well, I thought he was awful because I know I don't watch Game of Thrones, but no. I have heard from my friend Mark Kermode, who's a brilliant reviewer. I listen to him on radio. Mm. He's an excellent actor, apparently. Is it not marker mode? As you've got, you've got pen mode, you've got biro mode, and you have marker mode. Marker mode, that's the one. I, I always thought he was marker mode. Can I just give you one of these a minute? <laughs> yeah, the, the little guy, um, I can't remember his name now, sorry. Uh, but he's, he's a really good actor, apparently. And I think he was awful in Pixels. He was really bad. But it's not, it's not um, his acting skills that's a problem, it's the... The script and the, and the story was given, I suppose. It was, yeah, it was. But okay. do you think they were trying to try trying like the rest of the film to make a joke in inverted brackets that he was Billy Mitchell because he had the long I, mullet I and do, the beard yeah. and stuff, and he was being all cool and everything? I thought of that immediately when I saw him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it wasn't funny. No. I mean, I mean, I know everyone who, who, well, hopefully most people who listen to this knows who Billy Mitchell is. And, and have seen King of Kong and hopefully realise he isn't an arse that they make him out to be in the film. It, they use a bit of artistic licence to make him be the bad guy, and he really isn't. He's a, he's a really nice bloke. I met him in real life, and he's a great guy, you know, great ambassador for video games and stuff, and he's a really nice bloke. Um, and I think they sort of try to use that, and they try to use other things in the film, but no, I, I really hated it. You said you thought it was okay, though. We just thought, yeah, me and Waff watched it. We just thought it was okay, yeah, predictable. Yeah. What I realised after was I would rather, instead of seeing all these little Robotron creatures and Joust creatures and Centipede, Mm -hmm. I would rather watch somebody play the actual game who's good at it rather than watch his movie. That's the thought I had. That's fair comment, I think. Absolutely. If you're someone who's good at Robotron, it's really dazzling to watch, but this movie is all right. It was a 90 minutes that was all right. Kind of I thing. am a bit of a, a, a film buff, though. I, I do get mm. into film. So, yeah, yeah, it wasn't for me. Well, you know, as long as some people... Hopefully they won't make another one. But knowing no, them, they probably will. I, bet it, I still bet it makes a lot of money, yeah. Yeah, probably. The public can't be trusted. <laughs> anyway, so that's about all we've been doing, I think. I've, uh, yeah, been trying to mess around with a few things. Oh, I'll tell you one thing I did do today... I sanded the arcade control box for your trackballs I'm making for you. Oh, brilliant. Because I put it all together and there's some little gaps and stuff and I wasn't happy with it. I'm a bit of a, a bit anal about that sort of thing. I wanted to get it perfect before I sort of wrap it in the, in the vine I'm going to put it in. So mm. it's all nice and sanded. It's sort of all square and smooth now. So hopefully I'll get a bit of that done in the weekend. We can have a game of Camel Try, can't we? Yeah, what a cool game. Do you know Pie Factory? You call it Camel Tree. Camel I Tree. heard their, ver- their version of that this week, but... Their other guy, uh, not Sean, Jimmy, Jimmy G, he calls Gallagher, Galaga. Galaga. And Sean, who was t- completely correct, was saying, well, it's not g- the galaxy we're, we're in, is it? It's <laughs> Galaxians. Mm. And he couldn't really answer it. So, yeah, it's weird. Most Americans I know call it Gallagher. Mm. So it's not Gar Plus, is it? The third one. No, it's good. I like that, though. Mm. Galaga. Galaga. Like Galaga, drinking a lager. Yeah, you could have a pint of Galaga, please. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's all we've been up to. We should get on to some arcade news from around the world and local areas. Right. Right, let me just do this first. Let me get into position. You can say it and I'll do it. Right, we have a UK perfect Pac-Man champion, Mr. John Studley. Round of applause. That's a ping. That's broke, nearly broke the pings. That's Sarge's ping as well. It's, it's, I broke the ping. John was so brilliant. He has yeah. 
done the perfect Pac-Man. Uh, yeah. Six and a half hours live at Play Margate. I think yeah. we finished about half nine at night. Absolutely brilliant. Been trying for years to do this. Uh, he's raised a lot of money for charity while he's been doing it. Absolutely brilliant. I can't awesome. say more than that, but I can say more than that because I interviewed John not so long after he did it. And we're going to put that right at the very end of the podcast. It's quite a long one. Um, I had a good talk to John about Patman. He told, he told me quite a few things about Patman I never knew. I thought I knew quite a bit about because I talked to John quite a few times. It's some little subtleties he told me about. So have a listen to that right at the very end of the podcast. Absolutely brilliant. And so well done to John. Absolutely amazing. Do you know one of the things... He's, I was there, but I only saw the beginning of his attempt yeah. because it closed at six and then everyone had to leave and people with like night passes and VIPs and that could come in. Yeah. But what I actually discovered was, you know, you're on about little nuances and that. Yeah. If you, there's little dots in the corner, right? Yeah. And if you eat <laughs> one of them, you can actually chase the ghosts. You mean the you, big dots? Yeah. I've never got the, that far in the game. You can, you can eat them. That's just crazy talk, isn't it? Have you ever played Pac-Man before, Sean? Uh, no, but it looks quite interesting. It's a new one. I'm going to check it out. What, the, the new 1980 game Pac-Man? <laughs> yeah, that one. You've got one on your phone. Have you got that one on your phone, the new Ooh, Pac-Man? I have. We'll talk about that later on. Yeah, yeah. And right. Well, what's this I see on my Here's notes? Here's some other big news. Arcade Club is moving. Shaking and moving. Not not the whole building. They're just moving out of the building to a new building. Oh, yeah. And I, and I spoke to Andy earlier on this week. Andy of Arcade Club, and there's a little interview here about three or four minutes, which we shall slot in here. Hi, kids. I'm here with Andy from Arcade Club, Andy Palmer, and he's got a special announcement for us. What have you got for us, Andy? Basically, uh, Arcade Club is moving. Ooh, is it? Yes. We've got uh, approximately another 100 games we can't show on the floor at the moment, and the, the member list and the amount of people that turn up every weekend has, has grown phenomenally, to be honest with you. Very, very happy with it indeed. Where's it going to go? It's moving to a, a location in Bury, Lancashire, oh. which gives it an incredibly good rail route. Uh, you can get the Metrolink all the way through Manchester from Altrincham, etc. Uh, there's a massive bus station which goes from many, many miles and gives us access to another 100,000 people. Oh, that's brilliant. So it's going to be a similar kind of thing, is it? What, what, what can people expect? Right, it's going to have a lot more games, over 200 mm. on the floor, up from just over 100, so twice as many games. Wow. We're going to be able to show many consoles which we don't have out at the moment, stuff like the Sharp X68000s as well as PC engines, Amigas, HiSDs, etc. For people who are into those, we're going to be able to just do a hell of a lot more. We're going to have a full kitchen, it's going to be a bar area as well, a chill out area if you like for people. Oh, and it's just going to be absolutely phenomenal. I'm really, really looking forward to it. So it's in sort of a central area and it's going to be a lot easier for people to get to, yeah? Yeah, it's less than a mile from the train station and bus station in Bury. There's car parking for over 300 cars. That's a private car park as well, so wow. that solves our parking issue, which <laughs> has been quite amusing some weeks uh, with the neighbours uh, where we're currently located. Excellent. So we're now, where are we now? August the 24th. When are you, when are you thinking of opening? Opening nights will be Halloween weekend. Uh, right. It will be a ticketed event, the opening night. That will be fully announced soon, and there will be details on Facebook, all the forums, etc. So there will be some party shenanigans going on there, then? There will be, yeah. There's a uh, talk of fancy dress as well, which will be optional, but there will be some prizes for the best fancy dress. <laughs> It'll be similar pricing to get in? And... This, has been a bit, this has been a big talking point. Pricing is going to be exactly the same. Oh, that's good. More games, same price. More games, same price, yes. 
So you've got a lot of the classic games there. Is there any other things that you've got there? Any any new games or new consoles or stuff, Andy? There's going to be PlayStation 4s, Xbox One, Wii U, etc. Uh, we're also teaming up with Manchester Battle Arena. So we're doing a lot of fighting tournaments at the arcade. We have a full LAN set upcoming in, which so you'll be able to play five or six LAN PCs, or networks PCs rather, uh, and go head-to-head on uh, amazing games like Doom, etc., Unreal Tournaments wow. and all the things you normally expect. Excellent, awesome. And is it, did you say you're going to open three days instead of... Yes, we're uh, looking at opening possibly Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Fridays will be uh, from 6 to probably midnight. Mm-hmm. Sundays will be from 12 hours earlier right through to 11, 12 o'clock as well. So that'll be a 12 hour stretch on Saturdays. And that's the same price? And that's going to be the same price, yes. That's sex. And people can walk in and come in and go out? And... They can do, for instance, yeah. yeah. If they wanted to have a bit of a bob and shop around Barry, go to the cinema or something, they come back again, they can do that if they wish. Mm-hmm. And yet, do you have any new sort of games lined up? Anything that you've got on the horizon? We have got some amazing games <laughs> that we're going to announce that will be not available in the current arcade club. The new arcade club will have about 10 games never seen before, including some amazing restorations we're working on. So this, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this will make it the biggest classic retro arcade in Europe. Is that correct? Uh, I believe so. Wow. I'm very careful with this. But <laughs> as, as far as I'm aware, we will be the biggest classic video arcade and pinball arcade in Europe. And you'll be able to, what's your feeling on tournaments and sort of meets and things like that? We'll be doing a whole place on forum meets, etc. And we'll be doing a lot of tournaments and every weekend that there will be competitions and games for people to win cash and prizes. That's brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Andy. I look forward to that. It's going to be excellent. And it's near to where I live, so In, that's good. Indeed, yeah. Uh, <laughs> watch the skies, watch Facebook, uh, check the forums out, etc. But you'll know when it's coming, there'll be a big splash. Thank you very much. No problems. Sounds pretty good to me. Mm, so there you go, all exciting stuff, and I'm very pleased that it's quite near me and we're going to be a good part of it, I think. Do you know what the, the only sort of first world problem for me is? I'm going to have to go, and it's a long way. I'm yeah. going to have to go. Maybe you don't have to go every week, every fortnight, definitely. <laughs> yeah. not, well, for Nathan, maybe, and then maybe when, I, when I'm visiting the north, which I don't get to often enough, unfortunately. It's not that far. It is for me, you fool. I've realised now, go and play Margate, I realise nowhere's far anymore after doing that. It's a long one. In 48 hours. Right, we have uh, a new service available, and this is from our friend Ollie Muddy Music. Yes. Uh, and it's Arcade Art Shop, because Ollie is a wizard with art and Photoshop and all that sort of business. It's actually his job. He does a lot of, sort of web design and, and art stuff and that. He's absolutely wizard on it. He's done me artwork before. Brilliant. And he's actually doing it as a little project, as a little shop. Uh, and it's www.arcadeartshop.com. We put links in the show notes, and he started to, to get a sort of collection of artwork available for sale. He can scan stuff and, and print stuff. We're talking marquees, uh, control panel overlays, bezels, all sorts of really, really high-quality stuff, reproduction stuff. And it's brilliant. We've got one in the UK. Excellent. We have Excellent. been... A lot of people on the forums who, who know um, Ollie, we use him... To, to do our print anyway, because he's got, a, uh, he does the artwork and he sends them off to a local printer who does his top quality printing. And we've been using him for quite a while now, but he's, he's going to start up as a proper business. Mm, that's which is good. really good. So best of luck with that. And I've actually had, uh, I had a, an Asteroids control panel overlay for my cabaret, a sticky back overlay, which has been absolutely brilliant, fits absolutely perfectly. And I also had, um, it's like a, a very thin plastic, uh, printed bezel underlay for my the glass on my death race because it was quite oh, worn right. out and it's it's really really immaculate it's brand new it's lovely oh. so best of luck on that one and as well as that 
We've got Arcade Japan, another little shop run by um, for a forum member. And it's called Arcade Japan. Links again in the show notes. Uh, it's a really good UK business built up from forum, forum member Devil Soundwave. It's the best and cheapest place to get Japanese sticks, buttons, and candy cab hardware and other cabinet parts. I bought two switching power supplies from ages ago. I'm looking at a brand new one right in front of me right now I haven't used. Uh, I think they're about £16 each. They're really cheap. And right. they're top quality. Good stuff. And I've got one in a cabinet. Absolutely perfect. And I've got that one there for a spare. I'm just about to order a Sanwar LS32, which is um, a Japanese joystick. Yeah. Because that's the one I've got in the Pony with Mr. Driller's in at the moment. And the wife mm. likes that one best because I've got a PC joystick, which is an old... Um, Old PlayStation one, I'm connected to my PC. I think I'll put a USB uh, interface in it. And she doesn't like that for playing Mr. Driller, so I've got to get an LS32 right. for that. Right, and yeah. I'm also getting some little 24mm Samoir buttons for another little project me and Sarge are going to be doing. We won't talk about it just yet, but later on. I think I know what you mean. Oh, did you also see that um, Arcade Japan sell JAMA auto file adapters as well? Oh, that would be Ooh, nice. Yeah, Ooh. just for you, you cheat yeah. you get. <laughs> yeah. It can't be a bit of auto-fire. Give the web store a visit. That's arcadejapan.co.uk. Links in the show notes. One thing from the contemporary world of arcades that, mm-hmm. that is still ticking over. Right, there is another, believe it or not, Golden Tea Golf game coming out. How many is there now? I don't know. It's Golden like Tea FIFA, Golf. isn't it? There's loads of them. Yeah, 2016 is due out soon. If anyone knows how many of these has been, please tell us. There's got to be 10. I don't know. Well, our Wouldn't friend it? Bobby Idod... He yeah. likes the golf games, and I think yeah. he's got quite a few of them, so he's probably the man for that. Mm. He's probably looking forward to that one. Mm. I think it's a nice game for a couple of beers, and there's like three or four players. I think, I think it'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? Because they're linked up um, via the internet, aren't they? So you can play people in, in uh, have like um, world leaderboards and stuff. I don't know, actually. Yeah. I think they are, yeah, because they're quite a modern game. I think they're all linked up. Mm. Mm. So there's yep. a link to the show notes and that, which is on Arcade Heroes. Yes, again. Awesome. That's about it for the news. Uh, let's talk some pickups. Dun, 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 dun. And you've got another one. Yeah. Well done, you. Oh, Mr. Marlon. Thank oh. you, sir. Oh, yeah, well done, me. Yes. I have a game, a PCB, which is in my cab at the minute. I've took 1942 out to test this. Oh, high praise. Yeah. Acrobat Mission. Mm-hmm. A 1991 shoot, a vertical shooter from is it set U- in a circus from UPR. I think it's some kind of crazy Japanese translation. Mm. That probably means in Japanese, amazingly agile shooting quest personage acrobat mission with yeah. airplanes. So it's it's a good shooter. I wouldn't say it's as good as Thunder Dragon that you've also given me, which I really like. Yeah. But it is good. And the, but the thing that surprised me, right? I don't know any other game that does this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You, if you hit a bad guy, you yeah. bounce off him. Oh. Uh, you, you know, on a shooter, I think that's quite unique, really. You don't die, so it's only the bullets in the game that kill you. Oh, really? I'd never yeah. noticed that. Because I think when you die on that game, it, it gives you a few seconds to crash into something because you, you sort of like yeah. you're, you're, you're failing and obviously falling out of the sky and then you'll die. So I think you can go and crash into stuff as well, as like a sort of kamikaze thing at the end. Yeah, you can kind of steer it. It sort of rotates left and right. You can yeah. kind of steer it and get a few more points before you die, yeah. That's odd one, that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, you've got sort of your normal bullets. You've got two sets of bullets. You, you spread bullet that gets bigger and bigger. Mm. And you've got something called a hurricane, which shoots a twirling bullet around your ship that goes forward. Oh, yeah. But the, the more you power it up, it also 
goes behind you as well. It starts off like a... Like a swirly thing. Like a hurricane. I call it a swirly thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, great, I've got the swirly thing. So you can shoot stuff behind you. Oh, cool. That's what I'm trying to say. Sounds yeah. an interesting um, design. Anyway, mm. I never really played it that much. So I thought I'd credit through it just to see all the graphics, and it's a bit difficult. I'm going to have to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. The only sort of pickups I've got are ones I had already, which were broken. The good old Sarge. Just a minute. Just a minute. Ping. Has fixed for me. Uh, this man has so many pings he now. Does. Well, he, he does a really good job of fixing for me. He's, he's brilliant. He's really nice. It's a pingmeister. Pingmeister. He's fixed Turpin, which is also known as Turtles or 600, um, mm. the old Konami game, which is a maze game. We'll have to do that one day. You know? I do like a bit of Turtles. Um, I know. You've, you've showed me that before. I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not convinced, but maybe it'll grow me. Yeah, hopefully. Mm. Oh, yeah. And according to his feedback from last week, he savagely blamed me for the bad repair on it. And I looked at mm. it, and he's, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> Fifth Amendment. wasn't me. Because mm. at the time, he said he said someone had badly soldered the Z80 back on, and I didn't have a desolder kit at the time. And there's no way I'd attempt to take a Z80 chip out, because there's about 40-odd pins to take off. And there's no way I would have done that. So I think it might have been the person who had it before me. I don't know. But it all works nicely now, apparently. Mm. I haven't tried it yet, but I will put it in a cab. Also, from the same lovely man, he's fixed my rescue PCB. Mm. Now, rescue, I think I've told people before, I bought this by accident. Yeah. I was on the Isle of Wight, and I went to the um, oh, is it Arcadia in Ride, the big seafront arcade there. And I was talking to the, the guy, Mr. Booth, who owns the place, and he took me in the back mm. room where he showed me all the PCBs and all the spares and stuff. And he told, I said, oh, have you got any for, spe- for sale? This was years and years ago, like 10 years ago. And he said, oh, yeah, some of these. I said, oh, this one. And I sort of grabbed it. I went, oh, this looks like a, a scramble board. The Konami boards look quite distinctive. Yeah. So how much do you want for this? He said, oh, give us 20, 30 quid. I can't remember what it was. Cool. So I bought it, got it home, and made up a, an adapter. I went, this isn't Scramble. And it was the game Rescue, which is a twin mm. stick shooter with it, with one button for it. It's like a chopper game. And you can, it's a really, really cool game. And I sort of bought it by accident. I was so happy because I've never seen it since. But Sarge also realized that this version shouldn't be on that hardware. It's a stern game. But I think Konami had something to do with it. And it's actually a UK release by a company called Free Enterprise. Right. And this one isn't in MAME, so I'm going to have to dump the ROMs and send them to uh, people who can put it in MAME. It's the same right. game, it's just a slightly different version done by different people. But he repaired that because it was going sort of a bit dodgy and the sound was going on it. And I think he's, he sorted that out as well for me, which is nice. You covered it in the podcast, didn't you, a, while, a long time I ago with did, Alex? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's getting, I'm, my memory's getting terrible. This is number 44 on now. Yeah. So yeah, it was quite a while ago. It's a great game. Play it in MAME. If you've got a twin stick set up, Play it in MAME. It's really good. Twin stick and one button. Don't forget your extra button for, for your, your torpedo and mm. the bomb. I wasn't so keen on it. It was a bit twitchy. Oh, it's very twitchy. It's yeah, you, very, very, very slight fast. movements you've got to do on it. Yeah, yeah you, you get hit by everything in the game. I mean, the bullets mm. will kill you. The, the things in the sea will kill you. The sharks will eat your men. The choppers will crash into you. They'll shoot you all over the place. Yeah, it's quite a difficult game. Really, really fast game. Mm. I also bought another spread at ZX Spectrum. I can't stop myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I've played with it last night because I had to go out for dinner last night, so I couldn't play with it straight away. And I come back, and it wasn't working straight away. The power supply doesn't work, but I had a spare. I think it's just a fuse gone in that. And there's a, it wasn't working at the start, so I reseated a chip in it, and the keyboard membrane's sticking, so it's like pressing space mm. all the time, so it gives you a keyboard error. But it's an easy fix, so that'd be another one for the uh, mm-hmm. the old spares draw. 
Also got a 4.3 inch LCD screen for a unnamed as yet project. I'm going to be doing with it a tiny, tiny screen. Ah. Oh, oh. Also, Bobby Idod sent me a Star Raiders manual because right. when I did the Atari game draft with some of the, the Atari guys, the other podcast guys, I've never played Star Raiders, which is a really, really famous Atari game that everyone should play once in their life. Yeah. I've never played it because I'm not at the manual. You do need the manual for the keyboard controls on it. Mm. So he sent me a, an original manual. Thank you very much. I've either played that or played something similar, and I got well into it. I'm, I think I think it might have been an Amiga sort of indie game, a PD game they used to call them on the Amiga, didn't yeah, they? public domain, yeah. I think it was on that. Cool. Uh, it was just a, a rip-off of it. It was very good. Very good. Yeah, people do love it. I'm not sure it's my type of game, but at least I've got the manual now to have a good good stab at it, I think. Mm. So thanks for that. Right then, that's all our pickups. You not any more yet? No, I don't think so. You will have. Anyway, <laughs> let's do some feedback. Retromash via Twitter. Loving the podcast. Quick question. Do you have a cab in the garage, and what do you do to combat the cold affecting it? Well, this was aimed at me. Mm. I have nine in my garage, but my garage is actually inset into the house. It's part of the house, so it stays at the same temperature as the rest of the house all year round. So if I've got yeah. the heating on, it stays warm. If it's cold in the house, it's cold in there. And it's it's carpeted, it's got double wooden doors, it's all insulated, um, so I don't get a problem with the cold. What I did reckon, he was saying he might get a cover for his cab, for over the winter, and I said, well, that won't help. What you need to do is take the monitor out of it and put it inside somewhere warm and dry. Just take yeah. the monitor out. You don't need to discharge it. You can just uncouple it and take it out. Depends what kind of cab it is, really. But take the monitor and keep it somewhere safe. You know, protect the tube and everything. And the rest of the cab, maybe take the PCB in as well. But he's hoping the wife will let him keep the cab in indoors over the winter, which would be nice. Mm. But you've got yours inside already. I have, yes. It's not yes. moving from here. No. I'm going to sound like a complete noob, but how do you discharge a monitor? How do you do it? I'm not going to say on the podcast because it can be dangerous. Right. You don't lick it. No, your tongue is not involved in discharging <laughs> twenty to 40,000 volts out of a monitor, mate. <laughs> right, right. So no, right. I don't want to say because there's plenty of guides on the internet how to do it. It's it's safe if you do, do it safely and you know what you're doing. I've done it loads of times, mm. but um, it can be a bit daunting the first time we did it. I mean, when I first did it, I was cacking myself. I had a rubber mm. glove on. I had one hand in my pocket. I had a wooden broom next to me. My girlfriend at the time, years ago, had sort of speed dial 999 in case I died. <laughs> and when I put the probe into the, the part you do it, it didn't even do anything. It just did nothing. I went, oh, complete anticlimax. <laughs> but yeah, so you've got to be a bit careful. So if you're going to do it, caution. Look right, up, okay. you know, get someone to do it, get someone to help you, whatever. But I'm not going to talk about it now. I'll look at it. I don't think I'm going to need to do it myself for maybe if certain things happen, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you should, you should never, it's very rarely you need to do it. So anything more that breaks down, you need to do it. So don't worry about it. But what I did say is it's not the colds per se that, that affects monitors. It's more the condensation and arcing yeah. when it, when, when you turn the thing on and it arcs with the, the, the water that gets in there. That's not good for it. And cold and water and, and varying of temperatures with arcade hardware is not good for it. So it's best to have your cabs somewhere warm and dry, really. Yeah, yeah. Darren Dasborg from Retro Domination Podcast. Yep. He said, he said, about time for the release of this latest podcast. About time? We have a schedule that we keep to. Yes, every two weeks. We've been pretty good, actually, two weeks. 
Yeah, he also wants us to do I'm Sorry by Sega. What, what is that? What is it? I'm sorry. So sorry. It's a daft-looking game. It's a bit, a bit sketchy and a bit weird. Mm. We'll put it on the list, because he did say about it when we did the podcast with him. It's a bit of a funny one. Mm. Japanese humour, we'll call it. Right. Neil 1637, I've been following his Scratch Build DK. He's making a little a little bar top Donkey Kong, and he's uh-huh. he's quite handy with a router. That lad, <laughs> yeah. he's doing really nicely on it. It's really cool. So well done him. Mm. I am Jimmy. No, you're not. Well, you're Sean. I'm not. Really, I'm not, but he is. <laughs> Rita's been in games and hobbies podcast award section. Oh yeah, these are the awards. Yes. When this comes out, yeah. will we know? Oh yeah, it's won't. very soon, isn't it? Oh, we won't know if we've won, will we? It's the twenty eighth yeah. today, so it's yeah. coming towards the end of the month. They're, they're going to be. Yeah nominated and stuff it's very nice to be nominated anyway it's lovely in the absence of a category for small baked unleavened cakes typically crisp flat and sweet vic vic is eating something that looks like chocolate hobnob is that or is that oh digestive? yeah and now you're talking about biscuits hobnob. i thought he'd take my cue go on mm-hmm. uh what's he on about sweet games and hobbies is probably the be- next best thing his review Great listen, fun, fun and informative, some really well-researched pieces, lots of listener, in brackets, viewer, because I keep saying viewer, input, and occasionally they cover arcade games as well as biscuits. Top podcast, boys. You have my belated vote. Good luck. Thank you, I am Jimmy. So let me I've, swallow this bit of biscuit. I've Thank you. Biscuit. I'm going to have a bit of coffee now. Vicky's drinking out of a 10 pence arcade podcast mug, which I have mine as well here. Look, look, Highest viewers. quality mugs. Mm-hmm. So yours is, yours is black. Yours is black and white. Mine's white and black, isn't it? It's kind of a dodgy goth, that's why. Ah, oh, that's, that's fair enough. So, Steve Lawton, review. Love this podcast. Listen to it as I move around London and have done since the start. Had the pleasure to meet Vic and Alex when he was doing the podcast in Brick Lane of all places. Ha ha. Keep the good work, guys. Oh, and Sean Holly, in your face. In your face. Ed Horse was the guy on the forums, right? Mm-hmm. When I got my 1942 PCB and there was a mysterious note attached to it from Hillman, yeah. which which turned out to be Hitman. Yeah. Ed Horse was creating profiles from Hillman saying, uh, you're welcome. You and then he created, he created another one from called Hitman saying, yeah, I sent you that, the Hitman. Uh, it but it was him. It was Mr. Horse. Uh, Lesley seventy, that blinking game tune is still in my head. Congrats, Sean! Cracking score. This is um, Holly's comet. We did Holly's comet. Holly's comet. Mister Driller, here we come. I'm worried about Sean's feeling towards my Marilyn avatar. Lol. Each to his own, I suppose. He went from Marilyn Monroe avatar to Marilyn Manson to Marilyn, <laughs> the '80s boy George uh, friend. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's gone back to Marilyn Monroe now lately. Oh right, okay. Which I'm pleased about, really, because I didn't like the other two guys. Oh, I'll do this one. Yeah, go on. This is from our friend Davo. Listen to the pod dudes whilst at work. Uh, the Raspberry Pi 2, there is already a pretty good front end and, in fact, complete build, just an image for main, because I mm. said I was going to get a, a, a custom one done. Google and get the Pi Play one, which is pretty good and boots quickly, of course, being Linux. Also, you see there is information on adding buttons, etc., via the GPIO connector, etc., uh, we mentioned audio. This is the biggest pain with the Pi. And indeed, as Sean mentioned, the audio comes to the HDMI socket, as long as the correct HDMI lead, etc., etc. Or it can be come from the 3.5mm jack. Sadly, the audio level on that is extremely low on the 3.5mm jack, even when tweaking it to the max. And he's put some um, 
some necromancy Linux commands in here, and I don't know mm. what he's talking about. But I'm sure he can explain it to me a bit better because Dave is is clever with this sort of stuff. He's, he's a bit of a programmer and uh, knows a lot about tech. He's, he's got some things to do with sudo and all sorts of that. I don't know what that means. Sudo means is short for super user do. Oh, in Linux. You, you've surprised me. I didn't know anything about that. I know nothing I, I've about used it, it a little, tiny little bit because I've still got a laptop upstairs running Linux, which okay. I, quite, I quite like. It's so much quicker than Windows, and there's a lot less, a lot less bloatware. There's no bloatware on it whatsoever. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do still have a laptop with it on. But he sent quite a lot of um, technical bits here, so thank you for that, Dave. Like, we'll probably use those when we get around to using our, our pies, I think, mm. and I'll be asking him questions. And we have some uh, from Sarge again. The Pingmeister. We're going to call him the Pingmeister. The Pingmeister. Yes, fantastic episode again. I've completely forgotten my previous feedback, <laughs> but we'll add. <laughs> but we'll add feedback to this one. I may, I may mention stuff from previous ones, thinking they are from this one. So just roll with it, guys. I love my own Sarge Ping. It's awesome. I have a pinger. Everyone else. <laughs> yeah, but his mm. pinger gets used for world record pings as well. So mm. don't be greedy with your pings, Sarge. Mm. I fixed the rescue as well, which you forgot to mention. You haven't ah. now. You've mentioned it now. And that, uh, and Turpin. Mm-hmm. And Turpin. Very grateful for those. In fact, I feel a little bad now, as I said to you. Whoever previously tried to fix that board, smack him in the mouth. <laughs> and you told me you don't remember. Well, I found your thread from two thirty two thousand and thirteen. Yeah. No. 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 And it was skip that Vic. bit. Skip that bit. All right. <laughs> right. I have to admit, this podcast for me was the best so far and for a reason which was so weird i started nodding off when listening to the podcast and at that point of reviewing the game i had sean on the comet pick in my head oh yeah i did that thing mm-hmm. and with you with your pew pew asteroids t-shirt mm-hmm. and my vectrex all rushing through my head and believe me when you was explaining the game all i could picture was me riding this comet with a tiny nine inch screen all in black and white vectors playing the game shooting at comets and going inside them and all sorts of weirdness wow Sarge, get some sleep. Mm. You're hallucinating, young man. Do you know, sometimes, well, not very often now, but I used to listen to music falling asleep, mm. and it kind of does influence your dreams a bit. You have these weird, just before you hit sleep, you have yeah. these weird dreams, yeah. Do, no, do I, you... I find Portishead's good for that. Mm. Port- oh, yeah, you like them weird bands, don't you? Oh, yes. Not like a bit of banging techno. Well, before you get to sleep, no, no, I don't. <laughs> anyway, Tim, yes. friend of brass and copper, Mr. Driller makes me angry <laughs> by not moving when I order him to do so. Mr. Driller, move, I say. Get out of the way, sir. And then getting squished by other cute pastel-coloured stuff. <laughs> to be fair, I might need a four-way stick instead of an eight, but <laughs> punches the joystick. Oh. I've purchased sticks that can do four-way this morning solely to take part in the challenge, even though it's clearly already won by Vertvik's wife. A waff. He said, is that the correct spelling of, of WAF? It's W-A-F-F, meaning wife. Wife. My four-way sticks didn't arrive on time, but I think I still give Mr. Driller a proper go-go when they do. Excellent podcast as ever, chaps. Thank you for spending your valuable time creating it. It's given me ideas of things to play rather than just firing, firing up bumjack every time. Mm. When he does send a score in, we will accept his score, and we'll talk about it next time. So mm. hopefully he'll get a good score. Right. Charlie Farr. The great Charlie Farr. The Galaxian Millionaire. Oh, yes. Has he had a ping? Yeah. If, he, he? if he hadn't, there you go. 
He finished 1942, didn't he? Great, great podcast as always, chaps. Mr. Driller has always been a favourite of mine. I'm going to give it a good play when I get back from my holes. Can't find a single cab anywhere here in Kefalonia. No cabs in Kefalonia. Terrible. Terrible place. Get to the government. It's all beaches and tavernas and stuff. Beaches and tavernas? I like them. Do you know, that's all outside. I only like things inside. Cabs are inside. Yeah, they're better inside. Inside. All this fresh air and sunshine can't be good for you, can it? No, it can't. In small doses, I think mm. it is. Steve Erickson from Retro Asylum said he was loving the podcast. Thank you for that, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Mark Bannister, playing Donkey Kong, listening to Ten Pence Arcade. What could be better? Playing 1942, listening to Ten Pence Arcade. That playing could Mr. Be Driller, listening to Ten Pence Arcade. <laughs> Do you want to do Ian Ski's one? Because this is quite a long one. Oh, my word. Ian Ski. Hey, guys, as promised, here is some overdue feedback. Some of the feedback might not be so quite so relevant as, as a cover, I'm covering the last couple of ep- episodes. The feedback is full of ping requests. Sorry in advance. They usually are. If I'm over-requesting them, I realise pings are not to be thrown around at random. We're doing loads tonight, though, aren't we? Well, there's reason to, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. The podcast is going from strength to strength, he says. What with Arcade Outsiders taking a break? I didn't know that, are they? Oh, right. I didn't know that. That's John's Arcade guy, isn't it? Oh, okay. Mm. He's got too many cabs to fix. He's got loads of them. The Ten Pence podcast is now the most important show about arcade games available. Thank you very much. Indeed. Yes. As others have said, I hope you keep going. I realise it's a fair bit of commitment to keep up the shows regularly, on time and with fresh content. So a big ping to yourselves, please. Oh, Thanks. Thank you, um, thank oh, you. a ping for us. I've won them before. <laughs> cool. UK world record holders. I got to thinking about this and prompted by John's perfect Pac-Man success recently, I thought I'd give our homegrown talent a bigging up. It's not in the same league as these guys. He's not, but and never will be. You never know. Mm. But it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling inside, almost patriotic, that we have world-class players. Now he's on about the, the old 10 pence podcasts. You were bemoaning the quality of earlier recordings, but personally, he quite likes the wax cylinder character of them. <laughs> Retro, that's what they are. The first wax cylinder. Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as a white lamb. That was that famous wax cylinder thing, wasn't it? Well, you were around then when it was uh, made, so mm. you probably know, all that. I don't yeah. know anything about that. I was a man holding the cylinder, yeah. <laughs> Give James RGP a ping for supplying all the equipment that we do. Yep. Ping! We, we, we love that. It's brilliant. You mentioned Domino Man. Ah, oh, yes. On the side art. Mm-hmm. This is an awesome cabinet and cracking artwork. I love it when cab manufacturers go that extra mile. I didn't play this back in the day, but I did love Tapper on the Amiga. I thought the graphical detail and animation in these games was really great. Sorry, Sean, but you were wrong about this one. It's actually a good game and deserves a little more love. I think... I like Tapper. Did I say I didn't like Tapper? You didn't like the graphical styles of those games. Uh, no, I'm not, no, they're not. You've got Timber, one. Tapper, and Domino Man. I'm not mm. too keen on, on the, the way they work, but I'm willing to give it a go. And he's, he's saying with, we should put some of my podcast images on T-shirts. He thinks that would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and he likes hearing about our youth and where we played arcade games. You were very lucky to have both grown up near seasides. I didn't grow up near one, but I was always, you know, lucky enough to go a lot, quite a lot. Yeah, I was in a seaside town. So I was, I was mm. in, in the heyday, in the mid 80s, was the best place in the country to be, I think, near an, mm. in an arcade. Mm. Some of his happiest memories are, are playing uh, are very rare games in Great Yarmouth, Hunstanton, and other places around the East Coast. 
Right, he's got a question for us. Oh, okay. I like questions. Oh, this is a good one. If you could be a video game character, who or what would you be and why? He would be Mr. Do. Yeah. Because he's a bit of a clown, a bit quirky. And he's got a Powerball. And he's got a pointy hat. He likes massive cherries. He doesn't wear a pointy hat. Oh, okay. He throws apples at people. That's normal, I suppose. Well, I think I'd be Mr. Driller. Dig dug, you fool. Mm. I like like pumping up big crocodile things and tomatoes with glasses on. Ah. You know, and digging. (laughs) I like digging, me. Great good. Where's Vicky's ink garden digging? He's digging again, making the right mess of my petunias. <laughs> Where is he? 40 foot down. So would you, would you be a 1942 plane? Yeah, I'm very predictable, aren't I? I, I, would, be, <laughs> I would be a generic plane that could go in any shoot 'em up Yeah, you can just go from the next one. To the, but would you want all that danger in a bullet hell with all them bullets flying around your ear rolls? I would do because in a game you're actually immortal, aren't you? Oh, okay. You die, you, re- you rebirth again. with. Put another 10p in, you're laughing. Yeah. Mm. And then he's put, this is massive feedback, Vic. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Congratulations to me, I'm getting the cab. About time he's put, I've got a few about times. Yes. And now he's talking about his own projects. He sold his first cab. Sold one? Mm. Oh dear. Although it wasn't easy, he got a nice feeling from doing this. It was almost liberating. It was a Neo Geo 6 slot. Great games indeed, but I'm really into 80s classics with a couple of new games on the way. He had to make some room. Yeah, that's fair enough. He's had some great success sorting out his Phoenix cab. After a number of, number of adventures with Mr. Wells Gardner, the monitors, the mm-hmm. picture is now lovely. I did some work on the PCB, replacing chips, etc. And now all the sounds and music are working. I have a newfound respect for the game now. I find it interesting that I've read it before. When certain games are often faulty or a particular game becomes problematic, it can make you dislike it. Have you had that? Yeah, if you, if you have a lot of problems with a cabinet, you tend to get, you know, you really want to get it going, and when it gets going, it stops working again every five minutes, and, and usually you just get it working and, and get rid of it and let the next person deal with it, because it, mm. it can be a real pain sometimes. There's certain cabinets that never really worked very well but sometimes you're lucky sometimes you're not yeah he's also saying he's he's glad he sort of learned to fix things himself absolutely and, and sort of not just farmed it out but he's asked us to give a ping to obcd and gunblade the monitor guys because mm. they have helped him out what do you reckon mm, i don't think we have one of them They've got to help me out to get in peace. That's me done for now. I'll try and keep up the feedback as long as you don't get bored with it. All the best, fellas. We don't get bored with it. Thank you very much for the feedback. Thank you, Ianski. Funny Ian should mention Domino Man, actually, uh, because I had an email from one half of the Broken Token podcast in the guise of Brent Griffith. Uh, He actually has a Domino Man in his collection, which is awesome, and he's going to arrange some playtime for me on it when I go over there in December. So when I'm in Kentucky in December, I'll pop in and, and see him and hopefully I'll go with Domino Man. He sent me a, a, a great big long email with loads of tips for the game, so I might have to play it on main before I get there. And he's told me, you know, it's quite a lot about the game. It sounds quite an interesting game to play. Mm. So I might have to play that and maybe shove it on our list. Cause it's quite a quirky game. And the cabinet yeah. looks awesome as well. Mm. But he said, uh, have a biscuit on him. <laughs> on him and, Whit- and Whitney, and God Save the Queen. <laughs> we don't really do God Save the Queen, do we? No, not We really. sort of, we don't care about the Queen. She's just flat lines all round. Nobody worries about the Queen too much. Mm. 
Chris Miller on Facebook put, can you add Grise or, or Contra to the listener picks, which we have done? It's also called Probot Hector, isn't it? Yeah, do you know why that is? Is that the American thing, is it? On the nose? I think, yeah, I think it's something to do with the German licensing laws in the 80s. They wouldn't allow any violence ah, yes. against human characters. Yep, yep. So, so made they into changed, robots. Yeah, they made the Grisor and Contra guys into robots and called it Probotector. Do you know what else is another well-known German quirk on arcade games? Go on. Commando. They mm. didn't allow Commando in the arcade, so what they do is they change the sprites to make the, the bad soldiers into robots. Mm-hmm. And you can actually get that on MAME, or you can get a, you can do a ROM swap of that to play it on Commando hardware. Bionic Commando? No, no, Commando. Mm. Could have oh. been Bionic Commando, though, which mm. is a completely different They game. are robots. They wouldn't, the Germans mm. wouldn't, like ro- wouldn't mind robots. You shoot them as mm. much as you like. Mm. Blow, blow their silly metal heads off. Ooh, in their faces. And have their springs and guts and wires all fall out all over the floor. That's all the feedback done. Thank you for the feedback, people. And let's do some shout-outs. Sarge for another two pings. Thank you very much. Also, John Studley for being an awesome gamer and a bastion of Pac-Man. Lovely to speak to him the other day. Uh, We look forward to meeting up with him again and playing some Berserk. We always Mm. have a game of Berserk with John, don't we, when we meet him at the meets? Yes. He's flipping good at that as well. He is. Also, another thank again, Bobby Idod for Star Riders Manual. I didn't even know who sent it to me. He just asked my address. I thought he just he sort of worded it. Um, I'm you know I've, I've lost your address. I sort of sent it to him, and he sent me this lovely manual through the post. Thank you very much. Mm. I'm going to say a big shout out to Darren McDade from A Beads C Start. He does a little pixel art. Um, met him again at Margate. Great guy, and he's also appearing on a couple of podcasts now, so that's good for him. Oh, nice, cool. Shout out to Mark Singh, as I mentioned before, for fixing up all these little things on my cab, which I wouldn't know how to do, and it's brilliant now, so thank you for that, sir. Did you learn anything? I am learning a bit. Excellent. A little bit. It's all yeah. part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. And I mentioned last time, I'm going to... You did. Um, you had yes. your database, didn't you, or your spreadsheet yeah. of uh, podcasts? The, the podcast that I never miss, I try not to miss. There's loads that I listen to, just dip in and out of them. Yeah. But these are the ones that I never miss, right? Mm-hmm. Pie Factory. Them two guys are so funny. Arcade Heroes for all the contemporary news. That's Adam Pratt's one from Arcade Heroes site. Yeah. Maximum Power Up. Maximum Power Up. Um, my friends Paul and Phil. Yeah. I'm meeting Phil. He's coming down from Newcastle tomorrow night. Oh, cool. Stopping over at mine, going to Arcade Club, playing games. Oh, nice. Nice like one. That, yeah. Good going. Re- Retro Obscura. Still with some good stuff on there. Yep. Player Missile, the Atari podcast. Mm-hmm. Why I listen to that one, I've never had an Atari. It's just very interesting. Yeah. And the Australian one, they've got the Retro Domination guys. That one's really good. I've got into that one now. Yeah. I- I've not listened to all of those. I selected a few to do with arcades more than the consoles, mm. and they're great. I really like them. They get the best interviewees, don't they? They do. Uh, here's some of mine, mate. Um, I've got on my, I've just got my phone in front of me here. The Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast with Ferg, who's an awesome podcaster. Mm-hmm. Pie Factory, same as you. The No Swear Game is 7800 Game by Game podcast in the same vein as, as Ferg's, but with the 7800. Yeah. Uh, Dire of an Arcade Employee, which is Vic Sage. He actually works part-time at an arcade. I've listened to that one. That's, That's good. very, It's yeah. quite a short one, but he's quite good. Very professionally done. I, I think he actually scripts it. Do you think that? I don't know. He's very really, he also does. I don't get to watch it though. He twitches with his 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 iPad or his tablet. He walks around the arcade on a Wednesday night, 
and yeah. talks about what's going on. But I, I miss that because there are time differences, and I think it's live. So right. we miss that because he's in America. Ah, oh, just in no quarter on there. Hmm. For no quarter. Come back, guys. Yeah, come back, guys. History of personal computing. That's not been around for a little while now. I think they have a bit of a break. Maximum Power Up. The Floppy Days podcast. Uh, RVG, the Retro Video Game podcast. The Coleco Visions. Sprite Castle, which is Commodore 64. Oh, yeah, I need to get into them. Stalking the Retro, which is a not-safe-for-work one. Naughty Swears <laughs> going on that one. Still quite fun, though. Retro Computing Roundtable. The Broken Token. The Open Apple Podcast, which is the same as you've never had an Apple II, but that's mm. Mike McGuinness, who was one of the, the, the hosts from No Quarter. It's him yeah. and Quinn Dunkey do an Apple II one. And it's really interesting, even though mm. I've never really used an Apple II. The Intellivisionaries, friends of ours. Mm. Play a Missile Podcast again. You Don't Know Flack, which is um, Rob O'Hara, the guy from Sprite yeah. Castle, does one on his own, of all sorts of subjects. Antic, another 8-bit Atari one. Retro Obscura. And that's about it for me, I think. If there's any more, tell me. I'd like to hear some more. That's tons. I've got more as well. I, I listen at work. I get a chance at work to listen to them quite a lot, so I'm quite lucky in that respect. Because mm, you work in a noisy factory, do you? Is it that, that the thing? And you can put... Yeah, I have to wear... Well, I, have to, I, I don't have to, but I do wear my noise-canceling headphones, and you can pump yeah. music through them as well. Mm. So I do, I do wear them. Even, even when I've got anything plugged in, I wear them nearly all day anyway, because I don't like the noise. Yeah. But yeah. Hey, that's good. Loads of podcasts. They, they, they make time whiz by. I love it. So, uh, let's do some forgotten gems, shall we? This, this week's forgotten gems, we have one for, uh, I asked on the Zachariah forum or mm-hmm. even the, the Zacharia forum. Zacharia, yes. That's the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leslie 70 said, money, money from Zacharia. Money. Zachariah. Yeah. I think that was a Zachariah original from 1983. Oh, I don't think I've heard of it, but I've not played it. It's a maze game, a little bit isometric, and it scrolls from left to right. How many degrees of isometric is it? I think it's about 17. 17. Mm. It's not my favourite number of degrees in an isometric game, I'm afraid. Would you go all the way to 45? I'll go 45 or 30. 30. Mm, Anyway, Ben Ben 76, Benny Boy, Mm. or Dine. Or Dean. Or Dean. Mm. I call it all dying. Tomato, <laughs> tomato. Uh, Namco 1988. That is a great little game. Really colourful, nice, cutesy little shooter. It's a great game. Yep. Lardinate. Nice name. Mm, Lardinate. Gaplus, or Gallagher 3, as it got re-released as, for the American audience. Namco 84. Davo, actually. I was playing a couple of two-player games with Davo Margate last Saturday. Okay. And he, he mentioned this as well. He said, what a great game. And I did have it on the Commodore 64. And because there was loads of bullets, I loved it. But I never really played it in the arcade, ever, I don't it, think. It's like Gallagher on steroids, isn't it? It is. Because yeah. in, in Gallagher, you can, you can shoot, you can get your ship captured and you shoot the guy and you get two ships, so you get double fire. Mm. On that one, you can grab about eight of them at a time. Yeah, and you can, can also move up the third of the screen, the bottom of the screen, yeah. so you're not sort of just left and right. You can move up and down as well. It is a forgotten gem yet, that, isn't it? Cause it doesn't really get talking t- talking about talking talk, 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 about. <laughs> yeah, struggling tonight. It doesn't really get we're talking tonight. Yeah. Well, that game is on the sixty and one, which is quite cool. All right. Darren Allen, Radar Zone, nineteen eighty two Century. Do you know what this is? No, it's not, heard it's, of it. it's not Radar Scope, which I keep getting mixed up with. It's kind of like Amidar. Oh, really? Yeah, with different shaped mazes. Not just your 
rectangular maze on the screen. Yeah. They're like cross shapes and all stuff like that. It's a bit like Amidar. Yeah. Ooh, what a weird game. Decent, decent game, I think. Right, my one was a game called Plus Alpha. Uh, it's a really cutesy vertical shooter that I used to own. I can't really call it Forgotten, as I sent it off to someone for an easy fix years ago, and before I even knew anything to do with them. It's just a corrupt EEPROM, I think, to this guy in Bolton who proceeded to steal the board from me. Uh, and I also sent him two other games at the same time, and he stole those, while I never got them back. Mm. So I'm a bit miffed about that still. But oh, it's an absolute gem, and I've never seen that PCB since for sale, or even in the wild. I don't know anyone who's got it. People have played it because it's on main, but I don't know anyone who's got it. And if I could find that game again, I'd love to have that again. Plus Alpha. You should play it. You'd oh. like it. It's a really cool game. I have got one. I've not written on here. I forgot to put it in the okay. notes. What's that? It's a very, very obscure game, right? And it's called Chin Glove Adventures. Chin Glove Adventures? Yeah, it's very obscure. It's like a 1978 Konami game. Yeah. And you're stuck. You're a little tiny ant-type creature, and you're stuck inside a bald man's chin. Oh. It's his hairy, beardy chin. and so you've got black to get, and white, then? Mm, you've got to get up his chin into his nostril. Cool. Um, can I get it on main? You can't get it on anything. Oh. I forgot to put some of it in, so I thought I'd blag it, but obviously it's not gone so well. Shall I give you one of these again? <laughs> Ow! Oh, my cheek! Right. Let's have a musical interlude, shall we? Yes. And this is actually Twin Cobra Level 4 music. Mm. On the Sega Genesis Mega Drive.
Okay, that's all that lot out of the way. Let's do our featured game review. I love this game, so if you diss it, I'm going to be beating you up to death with my hooter. Diss it and dismiss it. No, I wouldn't do that. You're going to get some of that if you do. <laughs> What's it called? The game is Mr. Driller or Mr. Dorira in Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, you don't pronounce use in the middle of a word. So it's right. actually spelt Misuta Dorira, but it's Mr. Dorira. Ah. That's what wife said. She used to do Japanese. Right. Anyway, 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 anyway. Released in 1999 by Namco, and it sounds just like this. This has got to be our latest, most modern game we've reviewed, isn't it? I would think so. Oh, no. Yeah. Viewpoint was in 2000 or something, wasn't it? Um, not sure. Not sure. But it is quite a modern game for us, as mm. old duffers. Yeah. Anyway, it's a four-way. Very important not to use an eight-way stick, because you will mess up if you use an eight-way. You've got to set your joysticks to four-way. Mm. And a one-button game. The hardware is Namco System 12 hardware, which is a 32-bit risk system. Uh, this is getting powerful in 1999. Mm. Same hardware as Soul Calibur and Tekken 3. This is basically PlayStation hardware. Yeah. And I think there is some Sony chips on the PCB. It's a rather a unique game. I can't think of another game like it apart from the sequels, to be honest with you. And you you do play as Dig Dug's son, mm-hmm. Susmu Hori, brother of Ataru Hori and Tayo Tobi, a family of drillers. Mm. Mr. Driller's mum is even a character from a game called Barajupe. Rather than a pumper, you're a digger. <laughs> and the story goes a bit like this. The mysterious coloured block suddenly appeared from the earth. The whole town is in panic. What should we do? That's right, let's call Driller. Go, Driller number one, Susmu. The colour block comes from a thousand metres below the earth. Hey, this, it, it has got a bit of a story, and when you play the game, it's sort of an animation of what's going on, but it makes no sense. There's no <laughs> sense at all. It's good old Japanese nonsensical stuff. I love it. Mm, yeah. Anyway. You are Mr. Driller, Mr. Durira, <laughs> a little lad in a pink and baby blue jumpsuit with a mega drill. Yes. And you need to get from the top of the screen, it's a horizontal game, and drill through coloured blocks to get to 500 metres. Or a 1,000. Or a 1,000, but we're playing 500 for this one. Yeah. There is a sort of harder version. The screen scrolls down as you progress. When you drill a block, it disappears. If the block is touching another one, the whole clump will be removed if there's more than four. Kind of reminds me when the blobs meld together on Puyo Puyo, also known yeah. as Doctor Robotnik's Mimi. They sort of stick together. Yeah, yeah. There are also brown cross blocks that get in your way, and if you drill those, you lose twenty units of air. As you're underground, you need air. Your air supply slowly decreases as you play, so keep topping up that air for points. Also, as you drill away the coloured blocks, you will inevitably create falling blocks. These are the only other thing that can kill you. Squished along with running right out of air. There's no enemies in the game, apart mm. from gravity and uh, lack of air. When mm. the blocks fall, they will wobble for a second, then fall. If they hit another block or clump of blocks of the same colour, they will, they will adhere to that block or blocks, sometimes stopping the avalanche or blocks above you. If the clump total four or more, they disappear. 
rather like a few other puzzle games out there. You know, when you get two to four blocks, they disappear and all that sort of stuff. Mm. The brown blocks behave in the same way. Your little driller can fall from any height and can have air bottles land on him, but if any single block or a number of blocks land on him, you'll lose a life. Yeah. Depending on where blocks and brown cross blocks fall, sometimes you can get hemmed in by the brown cross blocks and you mm. have to drill through one. And are boxes? Are they boxes? Yeah, they're sort of like crates, aren't they? Yeah. But when you drill these, you need to press the button a few times to get through because this is to stop you drilling them by accident. Losing 20 air can sometimes be fatal. You know, if you've only got like 15 air left and you're panicking, you'll mm. die. And when Mr. Driller gets low on air, he goes blue and a horrible noise plays, trying to panic you into getting delicious air. <laughs> Mr. Driller can jump one block to the side of him or use them as steps, but only one block high. He can only jump up one block. Yeah. Just get to the bottom. Easy, right? Nope. <laughs> uh, some of our listeners and our Twitter friends, we've been playing this together, have had a bit of difficulty with this game. I did. Did yeah. you? Yeah. Good. <laughs> yes, I uh, I think the problem was I was drilling down and I wasn't sure if I was going to get squished or not. The, the, the falling, the blocks above me are falling. Are they going to stick to another block on the side or are they going to drop? By the time I've worked it out, I'm either squashed or I've wasted two seconds waiting for something to drop on me. Yeah. Mm, it's one of those games, it's quite a quick game. You mm. can sort of take it slow, like a few of our listeners and some of our players were playing, they were taking it quite slow and methodical, mm. but then you don't get the score. It's a risk and reward. If you if you belt through it and get the airs and, and finish the, you know, get to final meters and finish, you'll get bonuses at the end. And when you get used to it, you can really belt around the place and throw caution to the wind. Yes. And that's how, well, the best person I know who plays it is wife. My wife, yeah. Tori, is excellent at it. And I'm nearly as good as her. So mm. we've been playing it for quite a few years, though. So we've, we've had practice, you know. I've been pl- I've played on the Dreamcast, you know, uh, various handhelds, all sorts of stuff. But I think it's a great game. It's it's quite tactical, but you've also got to go quickly and you've got to think quickly. And if you get to know the game, you know when something's falling and you can see to the side of it there's another colour, it's going to stick to that colour and stop right above yeah. you. Sometimes it's quite fun to, to wait and have one just land right above you. And it doesn't squash mm. you. But if it hits more than four and sticks to more than four, it will disappear. And sometimes if there's another block above it, that will come down as well and land on you. It's a bit like a sort of a cascading thing where things will disappear and others will fall, and you've got to try and weigh up what's going to fall on you and where you're safe. Sometimes you've got to get rid of the brown blocks to get through and you know get four together and then they'll disappear. So, yeah, it's, it's a, a good puzzle game, but a quick one as well. It's a rapid game, I think. Yeah, I got my best score, and, and they're only low scores, to be honest, but I did my best when yeah. I didn't think. I just went as fast as I could, r- relying on reactions to dodge the blocks. Yeah, you can speed through it. You can. You don't get any it. score, you don't get any points. No. I got to 450 metres. Oh, so close! With a low score, yeah. The thing is, when you get to 500 metres, that's when your points come through. Mm. You do get bonuses at the end for doing it, but you won't get them unless you hit that 500 metres and finish the game. So, we've got secrets and play tips. One thing one of our friends didn't realise is you can drill upwards as well. Because you're always going downwards, you can drill to the side of you, but you can drill upwards. So if there's a block above you and it's wobbling, you think it's going to fall on you, it's on its own, you can drill it out of the way and it will disappear. Mm. So that's quite a handy little hint there. I usually, if I'm going to go down 
quite a bit, I'll drill upwards, then go down to stop that block hitting me. And it also mm. gives you one more amount of time that block, because it takes a certain amount of time for a block to fall in the different levels. And it'll give you another piece of time, if you can think of it like that, that it won't hit you. Yeah. So it gives you sort of a little bit of a gap before the next block. Don't be scared to have stuff fall above you and stick just before it squashes you. Mm. Think fast and know the behavior of the blocks. Look out for the undergrounders. These are the little blue guys who hide behind the, the blocks. They don't do anything, but you find them asleep and sometimes you uncover them. I'm not sure why you uncover them. Maybe it's a certain amount of blocks you've got to drill before you find them. And they'll give you 765 points for some reason. Mm, saw them quite often. Yeah, yeah, little, yeah, they're quite cute little blue guys, aren't they? Mm. I like them. Sleepy swines. <laughs> and I just, I just can't work out why they're triggered. But I don't even know why the colour blocks are there or why you have to drill down to 500 metres. I don't know. I just simply don't know. But I mm. like drilling. It's good. Uh, get as many airs as you can. Yes. The yeah. air will keep you alive. You don't have to get every single one. You only have to keep your air above zero. It starts at 100 and it slowly ticks down. But when you get them, you start off getting 100 points and the next one's 200, 300, 400. And at the end of the game, you'll be up to 5,000 points each for each air you get. Mm. So a level can, can contain up to about 80,000 points sometimes. It depends because it's accumulating all the time. You can get quite a lot of points towards the end of the game. Yeah. So that's how you can build your score as well. But you've got this risk and reward because there is a time bonus as well. So you, if you're messing about trying to get rid of blocks to, to get an air near you, to have it fall near you, sometimes it's better to just leave it and keep going. I think when you go from, is it from 300 to 400 metres, all of the, I think all of the air almost is completely surrounded by the... Yes, they, they hem the, them in with the... the, with the, the crates. crates. Yeah. yeah, they do. And I was, I was watching your WAFs video, how she sort of got the crate to drop and then got the air. Yeah. But I, I just couldn't do it. I wasn't quick enough. I kept getting squashed. Practice, old son. Practice. Mm. Another one is don't die, oddly enough. Ah, good, ah. good tip. So when you reach 500 metres, you'll get a no-miss bonus and you get 30,000-point bonus for every life you save. So if you don't lose any lives, you get a 90,000-point bonus at the end. Oh, that is good, yeah. The other one is drill as quickly as you can. Because when you get to 500 again, when you do the game, you'll get a time bonus as well. On the third level, which is 200 to 300 metres, there's only two coloured blocks and the crates on the level. You get yellow ones and green ones. And this might sound easier, but what happens is there's a lot more of the same colours. So there's great big massive clumps of blocks. And when you drill them, they all start to disappear and you'll fall like loads. Mm. And you'll be falling for quite a way. Mr. Driller's a little cutesy. His hands go up in the air when he's falling. It's quite fun. You'll be falling quite a long way. And sometimes other stuff above you is getting moved and knocked away. So you've got to be careful nothing lands on you. Because sometimes mm. it can take quite a while for the blocks to fall. And this game doesn't forget what's above you. It will keep falling. If it's coming down, it mm. will eventually drop and land. So don't forget what's above you when you're falling down loads and loads. But this level's quite quick because you can drill stuff out of the way quite quickly and you're falling a lot. And then what I do is then scoop up all the air at the bottom because it's quite mm. a quick level as well. well that was my favourite part, actually. Yeah, loads of chain reactions on that level. Loads yeah. of chain reactions. But it's very easy to get caught out on that one. So the graphics on this game are quite simple, but being 1999, they're very, uh, they're sort of quite a good resolution. Yeah. And polished. Yeah, polished. Really cutesy, extra colourful. 
And if you let the game play, if you just let the, the track screen go, it's got a really nice little animations in it and little. I've seen it. It's yeah, really yeah. cute. It's all in Japanese. There is um, an American ROM version for Main. I've not got it. I've only been playing the Japanese version. I haven't. I haven't got it. A lot of it is in English, though. All the sort of word bubbles are in English, but a lot of the instructions are in Japanese. Mm. But the game is quite simple. You can, if you just watch the track screen, you can work it out very quickly. You don't need any text to tell you what's going on. But I really like because it's so kawaii, which is the Japanese for cute. Ah. I really like it. I love You're that. Clever lad. Stuff. Well, I've heard it before. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's kind of sort of it's the the music in it as well is second to none. Each level's got its own piece of music, and it's not beeps and twiddles and blops like mm, we expect. It's good, it's, yeah. it's really well done, composed music. Atmospheric. Yes, atmospheric. Well done. Yes, thank you. And you've got to use a four way in this game. You really have to. I did my best using the keyboard, actually. Oh really? Yeah, I actually did better using the keyboard you than keyboard a keyboard driller. You. I know, yeah. Some Still, people are good on keyboards. Davo's good on keyboard. I tell you what, the best game for keyboard that I did mm-hmm. was Invaders. when we did Black Hole or Quarth. I, I found that oh, yeah. I found that good on a keyboard. Okay. I got quite a high score doing that. I wasn't very good at that game. I, I like that one actually. Someone on notes, we usually ask what we can improve in this game. To me, nothing. The mm. game is awesome. And a lot of improvements were actually made on the later games. There's, there are a few sequels to the games. What do you think? Right. I, I, I'm not going to diss it. No, because you'll get a... I know it's a good game. It's clever. It's well designed. It's a good idea. But, but... It's, it's not for me. Not it's, for me. Not for me. It's not for me. It's like Dig Dug. I know, I know that is a brilliant game, but I don't like it. Yeah, I, I did, I did quite like it, but having said that, I don't think I'd go back to this. Yeah, mm. yeah. Puzzlers aren't for everyone. Mm. I love Tetris and I love yeah, Doctor do. Robotnik's Mean Bean thing and columns and stuff like that. I like, but oh, you're like another suggestion my wife made then. Yeah, She's getting quite into this now. Yeah, Doctor Mario. Oh yes, that is a yeah. great little game. Mm. We'll put it on the list. Yes. Scribble it down. Do you know that was available in a cab, wasn't it? Apparently. Yes, it's a versus game. Mm. Alex, I think Alex may have it on his red tent, actually. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. But it's a great little game. Mm. So, not for you. I'm not going to diss it. Yep. Good game. Nice graphics. Lovely sound. Not for me, I'm afraid. You may or may not like Mr. Driller 2 and Mr. Driller G, which is Mr. Driller Great. Because they introduced two-player games. There's right. a split screen, and you're, you're doing a race to the bottom. Same mm. game, but a race, which mm. is quite fun. And on, I'm not sure if it's 2 or G, there's new characters. On 2, you can go to different worlds. There's like India, uh, America, all this sort of stuff, USSR, and they're different depths. So you can start for 500 metres, 1,000 metres, and one of them is 2,000 metres, which mm. wife can complete as well. Wow. Yeah, I know. She's good at that. 20 levels. And Mr. Driller G introduced different characters. Because Susmu is the normal guy who does everything sort of, you know, he's balanced. And there's, I think, a girl character, might be his sister, who I think she's quicker. She can move, she can, like, race under blocks quicker. Right. And there's a robot. And the robot is one I play all the time because the robot has got an exoskeleton. When he gets squashed, 
his his exoskeleton breaks and you you come out and you've got another little sort of extra life. Ah. And he leaves his skeleton behind and you're carrying on just as a drill then. But that's quite fun. And I think you can play Susamu's dog as well, called Poochie. And he can <laughs> jump up two levels rather than just one that the characters turn. So you can play quite a different game with the different characters. It's quite clever. It's quite mm. good how they progressed it on. I really like G. G's my favourite. Were they both the, the sequels? Were they arcade sequels or was it, was it by then consoles? Uh, both. I've got all three PCBs. I've got Mr. Driller 1, Mr. Driller 2, and Mr. Driller G. I yeah. did have the fourth game in the series, in ber- inverted brackets. Uh, it was called Star Trigon, and it's it's just got the character from Mr. Um, it's nothing like it. It's a really, really weird game mm. where you've got no, no joystick, just one button. Yeah. The game's just one button. And it's not in MAME as well, so you have to sort of uh, have a look on YouTube for that. It's quite an odd I sold it because I didn't like it. What do you do with it. one button then? Well, what you do is you sort of, you're, you're, there's all these planets, and you're spinning around the planets, and when you press the button, he fires himself off and leaves a trail behind him. Yeah. And when you, you go to another planet, you've got to rope the planets together, and then they disappear. It's a weird little game. I suppose I might have got into it, but I didn't really like it, so I thought it was going to be a Mr. Driller game, and it wasn't at all. Mm. So I cast it away. Sounds like a mobile game, doesn't it? You something that would be good on a yeah mobile device. Yeah, work on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about the uh, the cabinet art and all sorts of other stuff to do with the game. Hmm. There wasn't a dedicated cabinet. Well, there was sort of. We've been playing the Japanese ROM version, and it's the one I got the PCB for. Oh, and before we go on to the cabinet, I must mention the US ROMs have their level depths in feet in imperial sizes. Right. So I'm not sure how this affects play. That's why I said we should play the Japanese version, so we're on level par. Yeah. But 2,500 feet, which is the 500 metres game, is actually 762 metres, because I'm an engineer and I timed it by 25.4. Yeah. And 1,000 feet is 1,524 metres. So I'm not sure if the Americans have an advantage or not, because they can't work in base 10. Oh. Mm. <laughs> but I haven't got those ROMs anyway, so I didn't mind. But this was a much later game, and it was the sort of time when kits were available, rather mm. than cabinets, to save the arcade owners buying whole new cabinets and ditching the old ones. There's no dedicated cabinet, but the art pack in the kit you get with it is really nice. Because I, I bought, I think I bought one or maybe two of my PCBs in Japan when I was over there. And yeah. a lot of Japanese PCBs have got artwork with them, and they come with them, or at least scans of the artwork, good quality high scans. Mm. And I got some scans, and there's a nice little picture and uh, I think you get a move strip as well, and obviously the PCB and all this sort of stuff. But the little the little picture is not like a thin marquee that we think of in a normal arcade cabinet. It's like a little poster, almost a little bit bigger than an A4-sized uh, horizontal poster. And mm-hmm. it's they put them in candy cab toppers, because candy cabs haven't really got marquees. They've got a topper. They call a topper. Yeah. And there's another name for it as well. I can't recall what it's called. And it's bigger than a marquee. It's sort of thicker and, and not as wide. But you also get a move strip, which shows you the basic of play. You can stick on the inside of your the bezel of your monitor, mm-hmm. which is quite mm-hmm. a nice little thing, or you can put it on the control panel or whatever. And some cool people have made their own Mr. Driller cabinets. And Sarge mm. owns my old one now, because I had a little Dino King I made as a Mr. Driller machine. Ah, yeah, right. Yeah, So hopefully you'll get a Mr. Driller and put it back in there. It'd be quite cool. I think his kids are like that as well, because it's, it's a pink game, pink cabinet with all Mr. Driller cutesy stuff on it. It's mm. quite cool. And also, if you play this PCB in a Namco Cyberlead, Namco made the game. There's a, a Japanese arcade cabinet, a candy cab called a Namco Cyberlead. It's, Cyberlead. it's sort of like a, a, a purple-coloured cab. Mm-hmm. 
And if you play it in the Namco Cyberly, there's an extra little wiring harness in the cabinet you can plug into this PCB, and you get awesome little animations on the cab's built-in multicolor LED screen. Oh, right. That's really... So I played one of these at the Arcade Otaku event, uh, IC09, back in 2009. There was a Cyberly then. I was playing quite a lot of Mr. Driller on it. Below the marquee at the top, there's a little... Between the speakers, there's um, an LED, like a pinball LED. I think you've just yeah. got red and yellow, maybe red, yellow, and green. I can't remember the different colored LEDs. And it plays Mr. Driller animations. And there's a few Namco games. Uh, I think uh, Mr. Driller does, maybe the other Mr. Drillers. Tekken 3, and I think Soul Calibur, and maybe Soul Blade, the, mm. the first game to it, play those. Almost like the DMDs on pinballs. Yeah, very similar yeah. sort of thing. They're really nice. And I'd like a Namco Cyberly. I was offered one a while back, and I didn't have room for it. But I mm. would make that into a Mr. Driller, I think, and play the little thingies on it. That'd be awesome. Mm. Right, this game had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of ports, sequels, and spin-offs. Loads of them. It was really popular. In mm. the arcade, as I said, you had Mr. Driller 2, Mr. Driller G, Mr. Mr. Driller Great, and Star Trigon. And that's not like the game at all. And... It, Mr. Driller, the original, was also released on the PlayStation 1, the Dreamcast, and the Game Boy Color. Color. Yeah, and the Dreamcast is the first time I ever played it, when I had my Dreamcast. And I've just put a bid on eBay for the original Dreamcast disc. So I only had a copy Mm. of it, and I want the original. Yeah. So I'm like that, me. The GameCube got a Japanese-only release of Mr. Driller Drill Land, which I'm going to try and get hold of. Yeah. Because I think it's a bit different. Uh, Mr. Driller A for Ace on the Game Boy Advance, which I'm going to get and put it on my smart card for my, uh, I've got one of those little sort of cheaty ROM cards, uh, ROM solution for my Game Boy Advance. Mr. Driller W for World, which is a WiiWare download on the Wii. Mm. And the same kind of thing, Mr. Driller Drill to You Drop, which is a DSi version of W for the DSi. And also Mr. Driller Drill Spirits on the DS. Um, this is the best of the console games, in my opinion. Loads of modes, characters, unlockables, and countries to play through. And this is a favourite of my wife's. Mm, and she's right. completed it, the whole game, uncovered everything. 2,000 metres, no problem to her. Mm. Oh, she's really good at it. <laughs> There's also been a raft of drillers on mobiles, too. Too many to, uh, to mention on Apple devices and those cute little green robot devices. <laughs> right, scoring. Right, yes. This is interesting, actually. Mm. So, we've got the lowest one, which was... Mr. Monkey Chunk. Yep, 59,990. With his interesting videos. Yep. Then we've got Paul Monaghan from Maximum Power has been playing. Yep. I think he's been playing on his JXD, I'm not sure. Okay, that's fair enough. 97,025. Yep. Good, good effort. Um, Vip, Ben, says he's actually sitting this one out. That's his score in brackets, sitting this one out. Yeah, he's been moving lately, so we'll let him off. Mm. And then it's me with a paltry 116,780. Yeah, that's all right. And Is it Lezer- all right? Yeah. Lezer- Lezer- 70, 235,490. Now we're getting there. Yep. Uh, me... Have you beat Mad Steve? Mad Steve's got 263,615. Yep. 315,590. And number one. Number one. 
and it's going to be one of these. You know what these are, don't you? Yeah, a ping. No. What the? What, what was that? You know what that means, don't you? My wife has beat the world record. No. Yep, but we didn't video it. Right. And she nearly beat it again tonight. She got 364,965 points. Wow, well done. And the world record is 350,000. Previous world record was 360,440 by Robert Razette. So I've also got a little message for you as well. Sean Holly, in your face. <laughs> yep, she beat the world record a couple of nights ago. I was with her when she did it, and I was on the floor wiring up some pin pinouts on my asteroid, and she went, there you go. I looked around and went, whoa, whoa why did we video it? And tonight, she beat it again before she went out, but not as badly. You're going to have to set up a yep, video. Then, we are going to. I might be galaxies. buying a little video camera soon, just to do little bits in the garage, really, and little walk-rounds when we, when we go to events and stuff. So I'm definitely going to get a video d- doing it. Yeah. And also, we have uploaded a video to YouTube, and the link is in the show notes, of her playing, was it a 300-something thousand point? Yep, and that Three, was a, a perfect no-loss-of-life. Good bonuses, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. How cool is that? Expert mode. Right on her. Well so done. So she's done really well there. Mm. Right. The overall thoughts on this game. I absolutely loved playing this. It was it was obvious reasons. Uh, really nice to have a little play weight with, with me in the form of my wife. And I'm now going to be playing Mr. Rilla 2 and Mr. Rilla G. Because I've got these PCBs, three of them mm. together, in a little stack. I made some little feet for them and some uh, M3 studding so they're all sort of bolted together on top of each other gaps in between so i can just take the jammer connector off and pop it on the next one and play the next game stack of drillers oh that's a good idea yeah yeah that's clever that yeah my overall thought i think i've said definitely a good game but not for me and never really got a hang of it i kept getting kept getting squished sean holly kept getting squished (laughs) kept getting squished yeah yeah Good though, I know it's good, but I'm I might not have to play ask it again. Sorry, an arcade club. Because it looks good in a candy as well. It's a kind of really suits a candy cab. Right then. Yeah. Let's got that one out of the way. Let's do the art of side art. Ready? Oh. It's one of yours. Yes. Right. I've ch- I've chosen this one right because I love the marquee. It's very, very good. Do you want to explain what it is? The rest of it is good as well. It's Moon Shuttle from Taito. Oh, I know. There's two versions of this. I mean, two versions of the, the this cab. I think it's... Who else did it? Who else like... I think Nichibutsu, was it? Someone like that. Or mm. So this is the Taito cab with the iconic Taito font on the... Oh, it's not the Taito font, is it? It's the, it's the one they used on a lot of the cabs... Diet cabs, yeah. Diet cabs. And they're very similar. They've got the Taito mm. on a sort of an angle on the side with a colour and a sort of white above it on the sides. It's quite a plain looking cab, but they came in different yeah. colours. I think Zookeeper came in a cab like this with an orange one. And it also came with full side art mm. with all the lions and the tigers and stuff on the side. But it also came in this one. I think a lot of Taito so games quite, came mm. like this. I so like quite it, yeah. simple but effective, the side art. But- yeah, the actual marquee's really nice. They've got the moon shuttle in a nice font. You'd like that font. 
and then some space guy shooting a rock that's exploding behind by exploding through the actual lettering. Well, we put the pictures on the show notes, so everyone mm. should look at this. That would be a, yeah. uh, a good T-shirt, that I think, something like that. And the bezel, right, I've been trying to find a good picture of the bezel. I can, you can see it on the flyer, and mm -hmm. I found a couple of photos on Google Images. It looks a very yeah, colourful kind very of space scene. In front of me, but yeah, it does look quite cool. And mm -hmm. there's not a lot of pictures of this game about. It must be quite a rare cabinet, I think. I found a video of it. Todd Tucky, you know, TNT Amusements. Oh, yeah, if anyone's going to have one, he'll have one. Yeah, he's got a row of all these kind of cabaret titos. Okay. Got a complete row of them. Yeah, cool. Jungle King, you know. Oh, yeah, that'd be good in one. Loads, loads. Yeah. So I've, I've I found, yeah, it's it's a still from the video, but even that is very dark. Mm. So you can sort of see there's rocks around the bezel and there's a bit of like shooting stuff going on. Excellent. The only thing I found, well, another thing I found when you when you put this one up on our notes, I didn't realise... The picture you put, there's um, a Taito Trimline cab next to it. Mm. I love Trimline cabs. Trimline was Taito's version of a cabaret or a mini mite. Mm. And it's a little tiny cab. I used to own one. I used to own the one that RGP's got, that James has got, the Phoenix. That used to be mine. I was playing that last weekend. Um, it's a lovely little cab. I, oh, I might have it back off him. I'll steal it one day when I'm up there. <laughs> yeah, it's been going for years. It's a really nice little cab. And I was intent on trying to collect a few of them, but they're very hard to find. Mm. And there were quite a lot made. I, I came across about five or six different ones. I think Jungle King came in it, Space Invaders, Crazy Climber, Pulsar, and now this game. And there was a few other odd ones that weren't very good. But yeah, you can find all sorts of different games. And this is one, a new one on me. I didn't know it came in a trim line, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And I actually made a scratch bill when I was going to put Arkanoid in. But in the end, I made it as a Space Invaders, and I think Dave Otto's got it now. Right, right. I did sell it. Uh, but the game, yeah. I had to go with the game. It's it's shovelware. You know, it's like rubbish. It. No, I thought it was terrible. What year is it? It's got to be an early one, isn't it? Eighty-one, yeah, eight, like that. eighty-two, maybe. I quite like it. It's a weird, almost like a Galaxian space invaders on its side. Mm. You're a little ship on the left hand side going up and down. I don't. And the weird thing is, this is the only cab I've ever seen that hasn't got a left. You can go up, down, and right. Yeah, and right. Yeah. That's madness. And one button. So you can, I think if you go right, do you speed up? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you get, you get like a, a, a big sort of clump of rocks, which reminds me of the, the pink rocks in Salamander where you've got to blast your way through the rocks and they get bigger. Mm. You've got to blast your way a path through them. I think they, they move down and they try and crush you. And then after that level, you just get loads of these like, Weird things shooting at you. You get the aliens, then you get the, the it's like an asteroid field, isn't it? Then you get that again, yeah. you get more aliens in the asteroid field again. Now, I, Dung. It, it is quite demanding, actually. The bullets are very fast at the baddie shoot. Yes, they are. You don't get much of a chance to get out of the way of them, do you? Mm, good. I quite like I do quite like it. I do. I thought it was awful. Because it's shooting, you know, I like shooting it's got, stuff. It's got shooty bits in it, yes. yeah. Yeah. But the cabinet, lovely. Yeah, I like it. Like the cab. Control panel is simple but Weird. effective. Yeah. Because it hasn't got a left. <laughs> how strange is that, though? It's strange. Well, I wonder how they block the left off. Instead of putting a micro, it's just put a big lump of metal. No, no left. Yeah, Only for conservatives. Right wing. I had this on Commodore 64. I think it was actually called Moonshell. It was an official thing. Ah, that's yeah. probably why you like it, then. Yeah, yeah. Memories. <laughs> okay, let's do your releases from this month in history. 
I did promise a tune for this, but I haven't done it. You haven't, have you? I was going to sing some. At, you can get your xylophone out. I've, I've booked time in the recording studio, the Blackburn. Oh, yeah. You mean the kitchen? The, the toilets of the local pub downtown. <laughs> but um, it's not happened yet. I'm going to do it. I am going to do it. Right. We've, we've done sort of, this is the third podcast in August, right? Just. Mm-hmm. So I normally do oh, yeah. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago, then 15 years, 25 years, 35 years ago. So I've done that. Yeah. So this one, the third podcast in August, I'm doing random Augusts from the 1980s. Augusts that were random. So, so yeah. So August 1988. Yeah. Altered Beast. Oh, by okay. Sega. It's a weird game. He was rising from his grave, wasn't he? That guy. Wise from your grave. Yeah. August 1982. I've put Donkey Kong here. It's nice. Donkey Kong Junior. Oh, yes. From, I have a Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. From somebody called Nine, nine, N, nine N's nine Nintendo. That's it. That's the fellas. Yeah, little jumpy, leapy fella. I actually think Donkey Kong Jr. is a better designed game than Donkey Kong. A lot of people do. Mm, I do. I think they're just as good as each other. Mm. In perfect harmony. Another one, like Mr. Driller... I recognise it as a very good, perfect example of its genre. Brilliant game, but I'm not really into it. <laughs> August 1987, Two Dragons, Double Dragon by Technos, or Technos, Technos. Yeah. One of the first, well, I think that was one of the first ones that really popularised the, the beat-em-up, as I call it. Go right, have a fun. Mm. Um, back in the day, back in those days, the good old days of yore, I loved a bit of Double Dragon. Mm. I mean... You didn't really get any games like this on, on the consoles and the computers or not done as well. Mm. And going to the arcade to play this was excellent. But looking back on it now, I wouldn't play it. I wouldn't go back to it because I think it was really clunky. It's in Arcade Club and I don't think it's aged that well. It's not as aged no, as, as, I don't think it as well as stuff like Final Fight. And I know you don't like Turtles. I think that's aged quite well. Stuff like that. Yeah, it's still popular, isn't it? Mm. But Double Dragon, I think, and also the, the bug in Double Dragon, you can, I think you can do the whole game just with a headbutt. Mm. <laughs> if you just keep headbutting, you can finish the whole game easily. Oh, apparently. wow. So, yeah. And August 1981, I'm going to pick a pinball, because uh, Chris Poibug was talking about this, the Fathom Pinball. Okay. Very nice pinball from Bally. August 1981. Was that um, sort of deep sea themed? Mm. I think I might have played it. Here it goes, Fathom. That's the, spe- that's the speech in it. I think there is more speech, but I do remember that speech. Okay, right. Next show's game, and who picked it? Yes, we've done a bit of something different this time. In recognition of Mr. Mad Stephen Parry's double world record, Jump Bug. After we played Jump Bug, he got a main world record on that. And also Mad Gear slash Lead Storm, he's got a main Twin Galaxies world record on that. We've asked a listener, not just picked one from a listener list. And what did he choose? He's chosen, right? Snow Brothers from the wonderful Toa Plan, a platformer. Did you not twist his arm for a Toa Plan game? Come on. No, I, would have, I would have done for a Toa Plan shooter. This is one I'm not sure I'm going to get into, but I'm going to give it a good go. I'm going to... Me neither, and I'm going to give it a good go. Yeah, yeah. It's almost similar in vein to... Bubble Bubble. Bubble Bubble, isn't it? I like that. Let's give it a go, shall Let's we? Let's give it a go. Why not? And before we go, in our fantasy cabs in our heads mm. that we do, which is at the bottom of our webpage... 
I'm going to get rid of Food Fight out of my arcade. It's getting wheeled away and sold to another listener. And I'm putting Mr. Driller back in there. Very nice. And I'm going to do a nice little Cyberlead candy cab up so wife can come in and play with me. Well, what I'm going to do then, I am going to put R-Type Leo in, right? Oh, yeah. But I'm going to, I don't know what to get rid of. I can't get rid of that, all that, all that. I'm going to get rid of, I think I'm going to get rid of... 942? No. <laughs> no. Are you Star Force? I'm going to get rid of that for a bit, I think. Okay. Temporary. Get rid of Star Force and put in our tight Leo. Okay. On, on that bombshell of you moving around your crazy arcade in your head, mm-hmm. we have to say goodbye. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Thanks for listening and we will hear from you. Oh, I'm always doing this. Cut. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Here is the perfect Pat Man interview with John Studley. So, uh, I understand you don't have Pac Man fever anymore, then, John. I've got a Pac Man hangover, that's for sure. <laughs> I bet you um, have. Obviously, Saturday, Perfect Pac-Man. Um, it's taken so long, and it's it's been weird as well because the number of attempts I've had at Perfect and as as close as I've got before. Yeah, it's been a weird experience because it did it on Saturday the twenty second, um, six hours twenty five. So it's not like I, I wasn't used to the longevity of the game. Yeah. Um, on the Friday, I played a two point two million Perfect game while Tony <laughs> Temple was there. Wow. Um, and unfortunately, due to really slightly outside circumstances, because it was like a, it, was, it was called an after-show party, and although there wasn't many people there, it was extremely loud, and I couldn't concentrate as much as I would have liked to. So, without making excuses, my concentration waned a bit. And then, whatever board it was, two point two million, the board started, and I had no idea how to play. Oh, really? That's how weird it can be. And playing, I'm sure marathon gamers have done this before, where someone. May, may have just thrown a black blanket over my head. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. Wow. Um, and I just died in the corner. I just, it's almost as if I'd never played Pac-Man before. It was really weird. But, yeah, I put it down to fatigue and, and lack of concentration, which is just one of the things that you need, well, you need for any type of game. But if you're playing a perfect game, it's, it's not just over after board 21. It's, it's After that, you've got to be corner perfect on every single board, otherwise they just break down. Mm, I bet. Well, for anyone, everyone should know your name by now, especially on our podcast. We're always talking about you. To tell the listeners exactly what you did, the achievement you did on Saturday, can you sort of explain a little bit what you did? Yeah, what I did on Saturday, 22nd of August 2015 at the Winter Gardens in Margate, I achieved what's called a perfect game of Pac-Man. What that means is, is that on the arcade upright version of Pac-Man I play on the cabaret, it means that with the original hardware, I played from board one, which is the cherry, to board 256, which is the 235th key, on one life, without obviously losing a life. I didn't miss any bonuses. I obviously didn't miss any dots. I didn't make any mistakes. And I also ate every single ghost on every single applicable blue time board. When I say blue time board, that means that when you eat an energizer, the ghosts turn blue, and for a specific length of time, it allows you to eat the ghosts. Now, on six of the boards, from from board five to board 21, you've got what's called one-second boards. Now, these boards 
to mean that when you eat a power pill, you've got a fraction over one second to eat all four ghosts. So what, what I had to do was, not only did I play a perfect game, I played what was called a freehand perfect game of Pac-Man, so I didn't use any patterns at all. When I say at all, from the ninth key, when the game completely changes, everyone uses a pattern then, because it would take literally days and days to complete a whole game. So you tend to just run a, um, a specific pattern from the twenty from board 21 or the ninth key. So I played from board 1 to board 21, which took, I think it was around about an hour and 55, yeah. which wasn't too bad. So what you need to do is the application needed to play freehand perfect for 20 boards is huge because you need to have a 100% concentration. I don't know whether any of your listeners, you've probably seen it anyway, Vic, um, that when I'm amongst the ghosts, I'm literally sometimes millimetres away from the ghosts. Mm. And that's needed to, to freehand group the ghosts and put them in a specific order for a specific power pill and even when they're in a specific order i need to wait for pokey to be in a certain position so i could attract them over to a power pill so just to wrap up the whole thing without me as i always do tend to rattle on about you know the intricacies of the game yeah. I, I had to go from the beginning to the end of the game free hand play which typically takes six hours plus without losing a life without making any mistakes without missing any bonuses and complete the the split screen as well with six lives intact, um, and it's something that's only been done. It's been published as half a dozen times, actually seven times, because Dave Cruz, bless him, lovely guy from over in, in America, he's recently just gone onto the TG scoreboard with a perfect game of Pac-Man. Oh, wow. So congratulations oh, wow. to Dave Cruz as well. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's a, that's an okay summary for the for the listeners, and I'm sure lots of lots of them know the basics because they've read about and built it in '99, and you know it's. Um, it's almost classed as the sort of the holy grail of, of video game and achievements because of the name itself being perfect. No other game um, or any gaming achievement means that you are going to start with one life and you're going to complete the entire game to that length of a, of a game without ever missing anything, without ever losing all life or without ever making any mistakes. Wow. I only found out recently that your particular achievement in doing the perfect Pac-Man in itself is is amazing. I can't imagine doing like five levels of Pac-Man and getting them all right. But mm. I also found out, I never knew this before, that you never, ever practice the split screen. And the split screen is the very last level where half the screen is obscured by garbage because the, the program crashes and you've got to find the sort of secret pills in amongst the rubbish. You'd never huh. practice that by using any kind of cheat methods or MAME or the no. Rack Advance. You never did that? No, I never did it. And to be honest, Vic, I I can sort of clear up a couple of things as well because it's not an elitist way of practicing. Mm -hmm. What happened was in the very late 80s when I first played and when I got the sort of the unofficial world record, I took it off Tim Balderamos of America. He had the the official world record at the time, which was recognized. There was lots of claims to who had the highest score at the time there was Bill there was Chris Ira there was a guy called Bill Bastable but these were all games that were were noted but they were never officially recognised okay so they weren't witnessed and they weren't videoed or anything like that Yeah. so Tim had the official world record at the time and I beat that in June 83 when I was 14 wow but at the time when I beat that score the only source of way I played I went into the arcade I was lucky enough because I was young enough and we were there in the early 80s like yourself and like many others mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to go into the arcade and drop 10 pence in the machine. Now, that's all I knew, whether it be track and field, Pac-Man, Berserk, any arcade machine. I walked into the arcade, I had X amount of money, it went in the machine, and depending on how long I lasted, depending on how long my money lasted, my pocket money, and it depended on whether I walked home from the arcade. <laughs> yeah. So we had a different 
application then because we didn't have main. We had the arcade machine. We had our friends with us who most of the time were standing there taking the mickey, trying to put you off. Hmm. So the times in the arcade then, they were, they were pretty difficult. It was, it, was a, it was a great way of learning because you were all already handicapped. So what I did was I just played and played and played. And then when I eventually got to the split screen, I never knew about Rack Advance or nothing like that. Main didn't exist, but Rack Advance, we never knew anything like that. So mm. all we did, we just played and we, we got as far as we could. Now, fast forward to the, the, the modern sort of time when I really got back into playing, which was 2007 stroke 2008. I found out that the, A, there was a perfect game and B, MAME existed. I never knew anything about MAME. It was a new thing for me. Mm. Um, and then found out it was an emulated version and you could do this, you could do that. And I thought, straight away as a purist because I never knew anything else I thought hang on a minute we've got an arcade machine which I played on and then we've got this emulation version a computer where you can access different settings you know hang on this is the right way to do it that's not but it was a personal thing because if you're new to playing Pac-Man for example and you want to get a perfect game you're going to visit videos you're going to visit YouTube because there's no arcades left you can't watch people play so I had to take a purist view of beating my old score. So that's why I'm going to make it quite clear. The reason why I didn't use um, Rack Advance, I didn't use MAME as a, as a tuition tool, is because, firstly, I already had um, the knowledge. I had the, the, the game prowess from when I was younger. All I needed to do, basically, was, was to just polish up on techniques and strategies, which I'd basically forgotten about. <laughs> so I basically just moved forward then and made sure... All the, the game was polished, the strategies were back. And I also contacted Tim Balderamos in the, U, in the US. Now, me and Tim have had quite a good relationship because, like I said, I beat his score back in the day. So we, we've kept in touch, and Tim included me in his book as well. Um, and Tim's an awesome Pac-Man player, and, and it still is. He's done a, a recent marathon game of Pac-Man. I think it was 6.3 million. Wow. That's on the anniversary version where you can actually go through the split screen. They did that on Twin Galaxies. It was only three or four weeks ago, and they did that live as well. Mm, wow, that's good. There was a few players. Don Hayes was, um, was streaming as well, so was Dwayne Richards, and also Abner Ashman, who's the world record holder on Miss Pac-Man. But, yeah, I had that relationship with Tim, and what he did also was, it was about three years ago, and I was speaking to him about freehand grouping. So I knew the basics of freehand grouping, but couldn't quite, I didn't quite have it polished. So he did, I think it was either three or four, or live streams on Twitch just directly to me. It wasn't a public performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did, I think I stayed up till two or three in the morning when he was streaming. And he went through the basics of Freehand Grouping because he'd used Freehand Grouping when he'd got his perfect Pac-Man. He used a combination, I think, on some boards he used patterns. And on, I think it was the one-second boards, yeah, on the one-second boards he used Freehand Grouping. Yeah. Wow. So based, based with that knowledge, because I wanted to keep it live, I didn't want to watch videos or anything else. I wanted to look over someone's shoulder and pick up techniques like you did in the arcade. Okay? Yeah. So Tim knew this. So he agreed to that. I watched them play live, picked up his sort of strategy. And watching it a few times, it, it's it's not as easy. You don't just watch it a few times and think, I can do that. You need to then go away and then you need to um, keep practicing and then add your sort of polish to the, the, the group and techniques, which did and it basically took two years from then to finalize what you will see shortly on youtube so you'll be able to watch not that you'll sit there for six hours and watch the entire game but you'll be able to watch probably the first hour and 55 it's quite interesting because like i said that that's the time from board one to board 20 when you'll see freehand grouping being done live so you'll see exactly the way i played and the lead up to a perfect game so hopefully that that clears up a couple of things especially with emulation 
Yeah. I've got no pro- I've got no problem with emulation at all. It's a fantastic tool. It lets everyone revisit the classics. But don't forget, I was playing against myself. I first had to beat my old score from 1983, which I did in Funspot Live in 2009. And it wasn't to to be like like I said, elitist or you know a, a, like a smart ass. It was purely me playing against myself. So once I'd beat my old score, and believe me, when I was younger in the arcades, I as far as I was concerned, I was the best Pac-Man player in the world, and I'd have beat anyone. So I was challenging myself, and I thought, you snot-nosed little bugger, I'm <laughs> going to do this. Because don't forget, I was over, was basically 40 and just going over 40 years old, and I thought, I'm losing a lot of me. I f- you know, feel like I'm losing a bit of memory here. Surely I can do this. So it was a, a huge challenge. I know what you mean. I know what you mean, John. It's, uh, it's like when you get to sort of our age, and I'm, I'm roughly the same age as you, you sort of remembered back in the day you were good at something and you think, can I still do that? Absolutely. And, and half the time you can, but you do have to push yourself a little bit. You know, you get a bit more fatigued. Your memory yeah. does go a little bit. I understand what you're saying. But we, just going back to what you said about, you know, the and Tony, what, what he says in that, you know, the, the sort of the, the review that he did of the game. Yeah. He understands that um, there's certain reasons why it was quite a unique game um, or a unique achievement for Perfect Pac-Man because what I did also was... I set out to get my own cab. I went on to, um, I ended up on eBay and I bought a, a cabaret version yeah. for £120 and I bought it from, I can't remember exactly where it was, it was just outside of London. It was a guy who um, um, basically restored modern um, fruit machines. And he came across it. He said it was in a barn somewhere, which I believe because it was an, I'm sure you've seen the um, the restoration. It was an absolute wreck. I did, but, yeah, you did a really nice job of it. Yeah, that, well, that was the, the part of the challenge. I'm going to get my own cab. It's going to be restored by me, by hand, with the help of several other fantastic guys from around the world, including guys from America who sent monitors and joysticks. And with that, basically, I built a cab. The cab was going to be used to get to for practice, for live streaming. It was only going to be done live. And this was something I set against myself. It wasn't against anyone else, and it wasn't to prove anything, to say, I'm going to be the best player in the world. It was purely against me, because I wanted to beat my old score, I wanted to do it exactly the same way as I did it in the early 80s. And I also wanted to do it on my own cab, and it had to be live. It had to be live. Mm. Um, so even the practice that I did on Twitch, I, I got a near perfect game on Twitch where I fouled up on the, the kill screen. So I was perfect, actually on the spot, the split screen, should I say? Um, even if I would have got the perfect game on Twitch TV live, I wouldn't have, have had it adjudicated as, as a perfect game. It would have obviously said to me, "Hang on a minute, you can do a perfect game now. Let's go and do it." But it was also like a tuition tool because quite a few of the guys on the forums were quite interested in watching, you know, freehand player Pac-Man. And there's, I've had a feedback from a few of the guys saying it was very helpful. So it was almost like a, you know, a, a tuition um, thing as well, which led on to um, a near perfect game. But yeah, that was the, it. Needed to be live. It needed to be um, on original hardware, and I needed to to push myself to beat my old self. That was the most important thing. So. You know, when Tony says it was quite a unique way that I did it, it was purely because of the way it was done. And it wasn't to to be or better anyone who say, well, I did it, you know, it was all live. I didn't use an emulator. I didn't rack advance to practice the split screen. But going back to your original question about the actual split screen itself, I actually played seven full games over five hours to practice the split screen. Wow. So that's how I practice the split screen i knew where the dots were yeah yeah but it's it's one thing having a picture of the dots to say this is where the dots are but when you've played for five hours and then you all of a sudden the split 
screen comes up, you know when it's coming up because of your score. Yeah. But when the split screen comes up, you have to try and remember where the dots are. And you'll even see in this recent live game of my perfect game, when you look at the split screen, when the split screen comes up, I'm going all over the place trying to almost... I know where some of the dots are because you can actually see them. Yeah. But I had to try and remember where the dots were. So it's quite prevalent from watching you know, the, the performance that, hang on a minute, you don't really know where these dots are. And it's because it takes a lot longer than five or six visits to a split screen to remember where these dots are. Because although I trap some of the ghosts or three of the ghosts on the right-hand side, you've still got pokey that's loose. Oh, right, I see. Yeah, the chances are that you can still make a mistake. And he can still, he can still catch you. And if, if you don't get the key, if you don't clear the left-hand side of the split screen, if you don't get the key and you miss one of the dots that are hidden, it's game over. Oh, that's crazy. That was going to be but, my next question, actually, is, is can the ghosts still get you and can you see them all the time when, when they're in the, in the messed up part on the right-hand side? Yeah, absolutely. On, uh, like I said, there's, there's a technique I use where I go out the left tunnel. You have to hold the, the joystick in the direction you go at all times. Yeah. If, if you release the joystick, the ghost will take a different way or they'll catch you. In the, um, oh. cause it's, a, it's a bit of a sit spot that I go in straight away when I can in the split screen. Oh, right, I see. Away for the three primary ghosts. Well, when we say the primary ghosts, it's always Blinky, Inky, and Pinky. Mm-hmm. Because po- Pokey, or Clyde, as it says, we, I still call him Pokey. He sort of stays in, the, he doesn't go in the... Eventually, he will go in the split-screen part, but he tends to st- stay in the, the normal left-hand side of the, the screen where the maze is. Yeah. So you still have to avoid him. So I played the left-hand side freehand as well, so you, at some point you see I get very close to him. But once I've cleared the dots... And then the, the bonus key comes up. You've got to get the bonus key. Obviously, it's 5,000 points. If you miss that, it's game over. Yeah. And you, you can't get caught, obviously. And then you need to then eat the nine dots, kill yourself, wait till the next life respawns, go back into the split screen, eat the nine dots, kill yourself, and do that again and again until all the lives are expelled. Now, when they're expelled, obviously, you, your score then is 333, um, plus Magic your, score. Absolutely. And plus the three rollovers. But, yeah, that's the way it's done, and it's pretty difficult. Well, just hearing that last bit as well, John, I, I, I've watched you play before, and, mm-hmm. and Pokey or Clyde, as you call him, I always call him that orange turd, because he's always the one who never wants to play ball with the other ghosts. Yeah. And yeah. he's the one you've got to sort of... Because when I watch you play, it seems like you're taking a long time because you're, you're waiting for this guy to get in the right positions. You have to sort of coax him into position with the other ghosts. And it's, yeah. you obviously know, upside down, inside out, left and right, what these ghosts are doing, their behaviour. Mm. And you're trying to coax them round. So, and then after those certain levels, the behaviour changes again. So it's not just easy, easy, easy. It's like easy, it's difficult, and then it gets more difficult, and then it goes back to being more difficult again. The thing is, Vic, and a lot of the guys who listen to this podcast, they'll know that in Pac-Man, each ghost tends to have different characteristics. Yeah. As the game progresses, the characteristics still stay the same. But what they do is the, the speed basically ramps up then. Oh, okay. And the most important thing about playing freehand Pac-Man is that you need to be able to manipulate the ghosts. Mm. So regardless of what situation you're in, there's certain techniques that you can use, um, certain things to look out for. I tend to use a lot of periphery vision, especially for pokey when I'm grouping. But once you understand that you can actually manipulate the ghosts, you wait for the reversals to finish, because that tends to catch a lot of people out. When they play Pac-Man, what they don't understand is is that when you press play, the next time you play Pac-Man, Press the, the the player start button. Watch what happens. The ghosts do not pursue you. Yeah, mm-hmm. they go straight to their corners and they have their own respective corners. Yeah. And what they do is, I call it the two P's: is pursue, yeah, yeah. and patrol. 
So what they do is, on their, as soon as they come on the ghost box, they go straight to the power pills to patrol their power pills. Because the, the, a normal gamer, when you first start Pac-Man, what you tend to do is you tend to move off and you run for a power pill. Mm. Because you're eating dots on the way and you think, well, if I get a power pill, I can eat a couple of um, ghosts, but eat lots of dots on the way. Now, the way it was programmed is you can actually see the reasoning behind it. They actually program it so, like I said, they go straight to patrol the power pills. Now, this is like in the early days. This is what we did when we were constructing early patterns because we realized that the ghosts went into the corners. They didn't come after us, so we could actually go behind the ghosts in the knowledge that they, they're not actually chasing us at the moment. They're uh-huh. just patrolling a power pill. Yeah. Now, what happened then was after X amount of seconds, I don't know what the seconds are, but they do what's called a reversal. So they then pursue, as I call it, it's patrol and pursue. Yep. So they go into pursuit mode. So they actually, the part of the program kicks in and says, right, let's go and get them. So the ghosts come after you. So at that time, you know, you need to be careful because they are actually in pursuit. They're going to use the basic art- artificial intelligence and interception points to try and locate you. Mm. As soon as they touch you on the same tile, that's it. You know, it's, you're dead. Yeah. Um, but there's actually five of these reversals, you see. There's out to the power pill, to patrol, to come back and pursue. So once that's happened, Happen five times. That's the end of the reversals for probably I think it's about sixteen or seventeen minutes. Oh, so once once then reversals are finished, and that's what you'll probably see on even the early boards, but especially from the first apple, I use a technique where I get into the sit spot before they finish their first reversal. Now you'll see I do it very early in the board because if it takes any longer than what I do, they actually start the reversal into pursuit so they can see where I've gone. Oh. And the reason why I do what I do in the beginning, I only eat as minimal dots as possible, is because as that board progresses, you'll notice on Pac-Man there's a siren in the background, so it's woo, woo, woo. Yeah. You need to keep that siren as low as possible. It means that there's still lots of dots on the screen, yeah? Oh, I never knew that noise meant anything. Wow. Yes, as the dots are eaten, the game progresses, the siren gets higher and higher and higher. Oh, I'm learning something. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why when I'm playing live in a live environment that even though when it's very noisy, I turn the volume of the cab up because I need to hear that. And it's very hypnotizing, the woo, woo, woo. Yeah. But it's, they're, they're very important prompts as well for me to say, right, the speed has ramped up now. And I keep a visual eye on how many dots are left on the screen because at the very end, I think, I can't remember, but I think it's around about 30 dots. Blinky goes into full speed, which is basically 110% speed, where he will pass every other ghost. So to keep that pack three pack together in freehand group, and it's very, very difficult then. Yeah. So you've got to be careful that you leave as many dots on the screen as you can so mm. it doesn't get this what's called cruise out Roy, as they call it. <laughs> Blinky goes onto full speed, and then I actually did it on the fourth key. Um, James Brindle, he was watching, and he, he couldn't believe it because it took, I think it took about, maybe seven minutes for one power pill because I had to group it in such a way that Blinky was miles behind the pack, but he was still um, pursuing the other two. So by the time I got to the power pill, they were all together, and I managed to get all four ghosts, and that was part of that perfect game as well. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) That sounds so difficult. It really does. I I love learning new things about games. And these old games, I really I love these old games, especially the clever ones, because they must have programmed this in a certain way to put these little prompts in and then never told anyone. Yeah, that's right. And even to the point of, um, like I said, as far as the you know the game progression goes and the siren gets higher and higher, mm-hmm. I'm sure it wasn't a, they sat down and thought, right, okay, after you've eaten another 40 dots, where the siren's going to increase again. Yeah. I think it was more of a, because if when you first start playing it and the siren gets higher and higher, it's 
gets your pulse racing a bit because it's mm. you know it gets more frenetic. You know the siren gets higher and higher. But with more experienced players, you basically use that as a prompt, like I said, because you know the game speeds up, all the ghosts start to speed up. Yeah. So it's just really a, a warning as well. Well, the, you know, the game's progressing and you've, you've just really got to be careful. So that must make it, obviously, more difficult in a... In a what, well, you, what you like more than anything else is, is a live environment. You've got people making a noise and different sounds and people singing in the background and on stage with microphones and stuff. Yeah, the, the thing is with a live environment as well, Vic, it's, you remember back in the day, the arcades were a noisy place. Yeah, definitely. They, they were always noisy. And sometimes when you went into the arcade, the game next to you would be on full volume and your game would be on a low volume. So yeah. I think as a as a back-in-the-day original retro gamer, I, I had an advantage over the modern guys purely, even though they've got the advantage of using MAME as a tuition tool. Yeah. Because we played in such well, really difficult surroundings at the time, but it was something that we grew up with and it's something that was just instilled in us. Yeah. So maybe I had an advantage because I played back in the day. You know, that's that's for people to you know to decide themselves. Yeah, I don't think we'll hold it against you, John. <laughs> yeah, and and that's the, the live environment, Vic. It was purely to recreate how I played back in the day. And I think you you know anyway, but I'll tell you, listeners, that the, the cab I played on wasn't a, a midway cab; it was a bootleg cab. It was an original um, Pokemon board. Yeah, but it was a very what would have been a really expensive clone because not only was it a 19-inch monitor, it also had another 19-inch monitor above oh. the cab. It was a huge. Huge cab. There was two of them as well. Wow. I remember them getting wheeled in. I was playing Berserk at the time. And then these brand new Pac-Mans got wheeled in. It was like, wow, huge 2001 monoliths. They were massive. Wow. But yeah, and that was the, the live environment. My brother played Pac-Man. He invited me to play doubles or two-player game. And then I sort of got into the game then, and, and I realized, that, hang on a minute, look at all these people watching you when you're playing. So at first it was... Difficult to play because you had, you had so many people watching, so if you made a mistake, you look like a fool. Mm-hmm. But as you progressed and you got better at the game and you started to do basic patterns and you watched other guys play, I watched the guy from America play, and that was the summer of um, summer of 81. Right. And I think he got 1.3 million or something. He was running a 90 key pattern, which was considered impossible at the time. Because I think my highest was 290,000. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm watching him, and there was a massive crowd watching. So that was the impetus then. That, and I loved it when I was a kid. You know, you thought you were a movie star because people, when you came in, it was like, yeah, John's going to play Pac-Man. So that just it was part of my game that I just carried forward. So when I came back to playing Pac-Man, I wanted to recreate that. So obviously when I played live, I had a monitor that people could watch. Yeah. But more importantly, when you're playing for a perfect game, if people want to watch, and I'm sure they'd be interested, they can watch on an external monitor and you can be slightly roped off because you can't have anyone just walking up to you and patting you on the back. Mm, definitely. It, it's game over. Full stop. Yeah. You know, it's that, you know, you've got to concentrate that much for such a long period of time. Hmm. And even, you know, I know this question's gone on quite a long time, but I'm no, just trying, okay. to, I'll try and get as much detail in as I can just to, um, so the guys can sort of imagine what it's like. When you've run 21 boards perfect, and it, like I said, it's typically just a bit less than two hours, it, take, it takes so much out of you that you get to the point and you can, I haven't listened to it yet, but you listeners can, can hear it. Wait for the ninth key. When I finish, sorry, the eighth key, I'm going to run my ninth key pattern. You hear what I say? And if I remember right, I say, yes, go on, because I knew it was such a relief that I got to board 21. And it was so important then because the game went really well, and I thought, I've got this. Wow. If I get to board 21, I'm going to get a perfect game now because I felt so good at the time. And it was a release of, come on, let's go. Yeah, uh, and you can probably hear it. And after, obviously, you have this on the recording, so you can um, you can go back to it. So at the end of the eighth key, which is the last time I use um, a grouping technique, 
there's no power pills anyway because the seventh and eighth the power pills don't work yeah but just before the ninth key run when you slow down use the pattern you'll hear me say it on the video i haven't actually listened listen back to it yet it was just so important to get to that point and then to move on crossing the desert which was another three and three quarter hours to the split screen yeah i can just imagine you doing that and everyone around you watching thinking what's he on about he's got another four hours to go yet but you obviously know where you are in the game and, and where your mind is and you've crossed this massive gap but a lot, a lot of other people were thinking what's he on about he's you know he's nowhere near three million yet yeah because a lot of people don't understand that there's three three big parts of the game and not in um terms of longevity three big milestones and the first one is is to be perfect 356 600 on the, the, the ninth the end of the eighth key yeah. so that's where you need to be on board 21 that's the first part of the game the second part is the crossing the desert part where you literally do cross the desert you're on your own there's no help you can't make a mistake if you're not corner perfect and i was saying to james anyway if someone watches my pattern on the ninth key and think oh well, it's yeah it's just a pattern now yeah I, I can do that pattern I'll invite them, I'll go to another yeah. another show, and I'll get to the ninth key, and I'll give someone the, the, the joystick, and let's see how long you last on the ninth key. And that's not to be elitist, it's just to instill in anyone going for a perfect game or anyone going for a massive score on Pac-Man, you have to be corner perfect, and you've got to do your pre-turns importantly, because your pattern will break down, and you, the game ends quite quickly if you're not corner perfect. But when you get to that point, you play for two hours. That's why I was, come on, because I felt so good. And I knew my usually my pattern doesn't break down because I'm quite good at pre-turns or being corner perfect. Yeah. But that's the second part of the game. Now, when that's finished, it's three and three-quarter hours crossing the desert. Then you've got the split screen. It ain't finished yet because you've got to, that's got to be done. And although it doesn't last that long in terms of longevity and minutes, it's so crucial because obviously every, it means everything there. And you may even hear on the video, because I remember James said he was behind me, he was videoing, I think it was the last 12 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. He said to me, you've got this, John. And I was thinking to myself, although I didn't want to hear any commentary, because yeah, so, that, that part was so important, that you know, when the split screen came up, I, I knew to myself, I've got this. You know, I wasn't going to lose it, no way. Yeah. The thing is, when when you get to that split screen, you get the the secret pills. You've still got to do it. Was it five times to to use your last lives it, up? Yeah, it's six times in total because you you've oh, wow. You visit the screen with your first life. You still got five in reserve. Yeah. So as soon as you come on, you have to go into the um, the gobble pass. I corral some of the ghosts together. I first eat the hidden dots. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, you'll see I cross into the the normal part of the maze. I clear the maze side. As I'm clearing the maze side, the bonus key appears. So I've got to go over and get the bonus key, 5,000. Yeah. That, that's another, you know, you do a little swallow. Yeah. Thank God it's done. And then you've got to clear the rest of the maze. Yeah. And then once you've done that, you kill yourself. And then it's at five times in the split screen and clearing the nine dots with each life. Yeah. Again, 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 without making any mistakes. Yeah. If you miss, if you die while you're doing it, game over. Oh, God. That'd be such a bad feeling if you did that. If you missed the key, yeah, absolutely. Just I could I could imagine myself doing it, getting sort of like within a couple of millimeters of that key and it disappearing. I just push the machine over. I go, nope, I'm going home. <laughs> not enough. But yeah, I know you're not like that. I've seen you play, and I've seen you when you've you've not achieved it, and you seem to be fine. It's like what happened, John? Oh, I did something wrong. You know, I made a mistake. I looked the other way. I got you know distracted, and you. Oh, I'll have another go tomorrow. Like. Oh my God! You must be such a patient man. I don't. It, you've got to have patience, of course. But I think if you once you play, although it's not a true marathon achievement, to some people six six hours plus is a marathon game. Oh God! Yeah, but, playing Pac-Man it is definitely. 
Yeah, but when you think of some of the marathon achievements that have, have been done, Missile Command 80 hours, Star Wars over 100 hours, yeah. the difference is is that the, the achievement with Pac-Man is, is that it's very intense from the beginning to the end. And what makes it even more intense is, is that the fact that you cannot make any mistakes. No, there's, there's no... Because um, like in, in things like Donkey Kong and stuff, you can make a mistake and then get yourself out of it and come back. I think the most important thing is, Vic, um, the reason why it's, it's the Pac-Man achievement and the reason why Bill went on to, to have the you know like the notoriety that he's got is because he did it first, but everyone appreciated the with the perfect game of Pac-Man is that you've, you've not got six chances. You've got one. Mm. So, you know, you can liken it to any other game where you can get a world record score, but you've got five lives or three lives to achieve that score. Yeah. With a perfect game of Pac-Man, you have to get a perfect score. The lives don't mean anything. The only thing they mean is, like people who've spoken to me and I've tried to explain to them, them lives equal 90 points each to me. Yeah. That's all they mean. They don't mean, oh, I've still got five lives, I feel good. Mm. Not at all. It's the difference between, and even pre-perfect game, when I was shooting for 3.2, 3.3 million, I would have these lives in reserve almost as a um, as a crutch in effect to lean back on, yeah. which you do when you play a game. And when you go for your personal best, it's like playing Space Invaders and your high score is 25,000. You get 5,000 on your first man and say, ooh, that's the highest I've ever got on with one life. Yeah. And then you get 15,000 on your second life and then your third life takes you to 30,000. The game goes up or your score or your world record score is judged on intervals depending on how much score you got per life in effect. Mm. Yeah. With a perfect game of Pac-Man, it's only judged on what you get with one single life. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's what makes it, to me, the hardest thing to do. Uh, you see the guys playing Donkey Kong and, and getting big scores and kill screens and stuff, but they haven't got to be perfect. They've got to be good and, you know, not knocking these guys. I couldn't do it. They're absolutely amazing, but they're not perfect. They're not getting every single barrel, every single fireball like you did in Pac-Man. You've got every single possible thing. You couldn't get any more. That's right, and it's... It- it wasn't really. It was wasn't deliberate. It was a. It was a bit of a, a stunt in the beginning because when Bill, um, Rick Fothergill, and Chris Ira, when they were shooting for a perfect game, it was Canada against America, and it was on one side saying, you know, we've we've discovered that you know we've got the game to get you know the perfect game, and then you had Rick Fothergill in Canada, and um, even Dwayne Richards. He was a fantastic Pac-Man player back in the day, and Steve Sanders. Mm-hmm. But the, the Canadians, anyway, were saying that, no, we'll get perfect Pac-Man before you. So yeah. it was a challenge then, because it was almost the unachievable. And you probably heard Bill saying quotes where he says that, you know, everyone was saying it was impossible, you can't be done. Well, don't bet your life on it. <laughs> because yeah. they they knew that they could do it, but it was having the game to do it. And it didn't. they didn't do it overnight. It took them a long, long time. Exactly the same way as I did it. Mm. Whether they used Rack Advance or whether they used emulation is for them to tell their story. But the way I, I did it, and like I've already explained, is I did it, and it was a personal thing um, yeah. because I was playing against myself. So to be true to myself, I had to do it the old-fashioned way. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got any, you know, it, it wouldn't have been that as important to me. And it doesn't take away the achievement by anyone else who gets perfect Pac-Man, whether they do it on Maine or whether they do it at home or whether they do it in their loft or whether they do it on the top <laughs> of Mount Everest. Yeah. It makes no difference. It's still a, an amazing achievement. So what I did, um, although people like to say that, you know, that's amazing the way you did it, it was a personal thing and it wasn't to be elitist or in the golden no. club perfect games. But whatever you say, John, I still think it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it was but, tough anyway. It took, took a lot out of me. Right. 
Well, this next question is two-sided. How long has your particular endeavour taken you? And the way I mean two-sided is from the day you said, right, I'm going to do a perfect Pac-Man on my cab. Mm. How long did that take you? And also, exactly how long... I know it's six hours something, but how long was that as well? The first part of the question is, um, when did I decide to do it? It wasn't really a decision, to be honest with you, Vic. It was uh, it was sort of pushed on me by um, Tony Temple. Oh, that Tony. He's got a lot yeah. to answer for. Well, because I was pushing Tony to, you know, to get to the... You know, it's not a kill screen. It's the, you know, the, the 256 bug on Missile Command. Yes, there were several people at the time. You know, Tony was playing live in America. I won't go into the, the story um, with Tony with Missile Command, mm-hmm. but his achievements on Missile Command were just monumental. To, to watch him play the the way he played, he was like someone who plays a, you know, an organ, you know, in, in an orchestra. Mm-hmm. To watch him play Missile Command, I thought that's being world class at a game there. Yeah. So I was pushing him to get to that level 256 because there was a couple of guys snapping in his heels mm. and he was playing live in America as well, you see. Then I thought, okay, he was saying to me, well, have you thought about Perfect Pac-Man? I was thinking, well, no, because, you know, emulation and racket dance, I'd have to do it, you know, the hard way type of thing yeah. back in the day way. And because I'd, in 2010, I'd just, you know, within 12 months, I'd beat my old, old score live at Fun Spot. Yeah. So the decision was then, you know, shall I go for a perfect game because it's it's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah, he kept saying to me, I reckon you can do it. You've got the game, you've been over to America, you've played live. Yeah. You know, the guys were very accepting saying, you know, it's brilliant that you've come over here and you've proved yourself. So I thought, right, I'm going to I'm going to give this a go then. So it was probably 2011. Yeah. I thought I was about going for a perfect game. So it's been the best part of 4 years. Mm. So at any point did you ever think to yourself I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was in 1982. <laughs> yeah. Because literally, at the time, Vic, it's a good job I didn't meet myself now because I'd have probably just punched me lights out. <laughs> I, I was so cocky then in the arcades. Well, how we all were kids, weren't we? We were allowed to. We were kids. Loads of people used to watch me play. I used to go there on a Saturday and there used to be loads of people watching and I just thought I was the dogs. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, was, I was happy, you know, I wasn't afraid of any ghosts or anything then. Mm. I knew I, I, I could have had a good game. So, fast forward into when I thought, right, go for a perfect game. It was really application. And as you know, when you get older, you've got lots more responsibilities. You've, yeah. got, you've got work. You've got your private life, everything else. And you've got to juggle everything. And it's a really important thing. When you listen to um, The King of Kong, lots of people knock Bill Mitchell for, for how he appears on the screen. But I tell you what, this. Some of the things that he says on there are absolutely true. Yeah. And one of them things is when he talks about going for a world record, whether you're going for a world record on Donkey Kong or if you want to equal the world record on Pac-Man to get a perfect game, you're going to have to pay the price. And mm. you do along the way. You have to because you can't just go into it and think, I'm going to do this in my spare time. I'm going to come home from work and do a bit of practice. You have to knuckle down and you need to make certain sacrifices to do it. Otherwise, it just won't happen. And that's the reason why there hasn't been many of perfect games. Because there's, although there's been thousands and thousands of attempts at a perfect game, because there's some huge talent out there on Pac-Man, it's just to have that application and to finally get over that line, you have to pay the price. And Bill really does come up with some good quotes in that film. Yeah, I, I've actually met Billy Mitchell, uh, I think it was CGE UK 2004-2005, and he's a really nice guy. I think everyone who listens to us, John, knows that King of Kong is a great film, but it's not true in any sense. I mean, he's, he's a really nice, but I met him, talked to him about all sorts of stuff. I met Walter Day, absolutely lovely mm. guy, and, and they're brilliant. 
I don't think anyone's got any 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 sort of thing against Billy Mitchell because he's an absolutely great games player and he's got an awesome beard. <laughs> so how long did this? It was six hours. What was it? I haven't quite um, added up to the final minutes, but from when I started, I was thinking it was three twenty-five p.m. Mm-hmm. So when I finished, it was six hours and twenty minutes. Wow. We'll have to get the official timing, but it was approximately six hours and 20 minutes. Did you have any idea of what, what the time was? Or was it just sort of all around you and you didn't think about it? Well, you mean the time as in it's 8pm, for example? Yeah, so I've been on this yeah. thing for five and a half hours now, you know, that sort of No, thing. no, what I do is, because of I'm not completely conscious, but I'm a, I need to be aware of the time because of the venue. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. And because I didn't start the game until, tw- I think it was 25 past three, Yeah. Um, I was when I started the game, I thought, right, okay, Six hours on top of half three is half nine. They're up until 11. Yeah. So I'll be all right. So I was just, I, I ch- sort of checked the time along the way. Yeah, yeah. So this is one uh, I got from Sean, actually, this question. How did you keep your nerve when you knew the end was coming up? And what was your and everyone else's reaction at the gruelling end? It wasn't like in Blackpool where there was a huge crowd. There wasn't many, like I said, this was an after show party thing. And there wasn't many people there. So although James had a quick walk around and said to the likes of Andy Brown and um, Gordon Sinclair, listen, John's coming up for the end of the game. He's he, he's perfect. Then the the guys who were there, I think there may have been a dozen guys who were watching at the end. Um, there was lots of live online gaming going on at the time, so them guys weren't going to leave their games. Yeah. So, in answer to your question, how did I feel at the end? How did I keep my nerve? Yeah. Well, purely it was based on you've got adrenaline for so long, and it's so difficult to explain that when you run your pattern for 234 boards, you have to keep your concentration throughout. You can't really turn around start looking at things. You can't see a nice-looking girl and think she's nice. It's, you have to block everything out of your mind, and that's the reason why sometimes it can seem like making excuses. You may hear someone shout something loud. Someone might walk past and say, oh, I've just been to see my mum and such and such, and then you think mum, and you think my mum. And then you start thinking of something else, and then you've lost your concentration. Yeah, it's so easy. So you have to train, almost train your brain. I don't drink for days before, don't drink any alcohol. I go to bed early, I'm boring. You know, the guys at Blackpool know, John, are you coming out for a drink tonight? No, I'm tucked up in bed. It's perfect yeah. pack day tomorrow. Not now, because I'm a bit more sociable because I've done it. But yeah. you, have to, you have to make sacrifices, and like Bill says, you have to pay the price, and if you don't, you won't achieve. But when I actually got onto the, um, the split screen, it's like James really sums it up. He said, you've got this, John. And I knew then, I've got this. Short of something catastrophic happening, like me hand slipping off the joystick. Yeah. I know I've got this. This isn't, isn't going to beat me now. All I need is 90 points, because I'm really confident of clearing the, the maze side of the split screen. As long as I don't slip up, finding the dots in the, in the, in the hidden part... I knew I'd be okay. And was there any? Does anyone come around saying there's a kill screen coming up if anyone's interested? <laughs> I, I, bet, I bet no one dared say that just in case. Well, to be honest with you, it was actually said in Blackpool, and that boosted my game because I remember just um, it was probably about ten boards before the the, the split screen in Blackpool. Mm-hmm. I looked around and I nearly fell over because there was I couldn't believe how many people were watching the game. You've probably seen the still pictures. Yeah, yeah. There's about 60 people watching the game holding the smartphones up, you know, recording the the game. And I thought, what the F? I didn't realise so many people were watching. There was a couple of kids who sat down by the roped area, and they were sitting by the rope, and I thought, weird. And then when I turned around, I saw so many people. The difference with me is it doesn't put me off. It gives me the boost I need. And it's almost like when I'm playing, if I was to turn around and no one's watching, I think, I may as well be playing at home. What's the point? Because in an arc... In the arcade, people will be watching. Yeah. 
I've, I've had a very, very small account of that for myself, not anywhere near as big as that. But I was playing Donkey Kong on a cab at the Hog of Heart of Gaming, which is quite yeah. near me. And I was trying to beat um, the record of the owner. That's all it was. It wasn't anything big. You know, it was, it was about 200,000 or something. And um, he, yeah, he yeah. sort of came out and talked to me and said, oh, you, you played Donkey Kong. I sort of talked to Mark and sort of got to know him a little bit. And I was playing later on. I was doing really well. I thought, I'm doing well here. And it all went quiet behind me. And I thought, yeah. something going on. And I heard someone say, shut up, you put him off. And I thought, <laughs> oh, God, everyone's watching me now. And I actually did it and beat him. I died and I said, ah, oh, you know, damn. And I turned around. Everyone's giving me a round of applause. I was like, oh, wow, that's good. And that was just a tiny little thing, you know. It wasn't it wasn't a massive achievement at all, but it was such a nice feeling to know that people were watching you and watching what you're doing and how you were doing it. Did you find that it had a, a, a positive effect on your game, or did you find that it? Sort it did of, actually, because I wasn't really worried about it because I think at the time I'd already beaten his score, and yeah. then I was just doing a bit better and thinking, oh, you know, I was just keep going for it. Now I'm gonna go for it, and I did, and I got quite a bit more again. Uh, yeah. I think since, since then it's been beaten by another guy by loads anyway. But, you know, it was just the thing, oh, I'll go and beat that. I'll beat his score. And we were sort of talking about it. And he was really good about it. You know, he didn't mind at all. He, he thought it was brilliant because it was one of, one of his machines. But, yeah. yeah, it did sort of give me a bit of a boost, actually, because you sort of think, well, these people are watching me. They, they can't do this, what I'm doing. They haven't got the skills I've got. And believe me, they're minimal, honestly. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they sort of don't know the rules of Donkey Kong, because, you know, especially if you watch King of Kong, you know how certain barrels do, you can control them, you know, you've got the little tricks you can do and all that sort of stuff, and I knew them because I've been into Donkey Kong for quite a while, and I've watched the King of Kong multiple times, and I've been on the Donkey Kong forums, you know, trying to find little hints and stuff, and it was it was quite nice, it was a really good feeling. Well, believe me, if you were to watch me play Donkey Kong, 200,000 pointers, perfect Donkey Kong. <laughs> it's one of those things, I mean, it's, it's, it's either your game or not. You know, I'm I'm good at like two games maybe, and I'm still not world class. I'd like to be, but I think just more practice. That's all it is. You've got to make the sacrifice, Vic. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I think it needs to be put a PCB in a cabinet and leave it in there. And every time you go on that cabinet, you play it and you play it and you play. It. And you don't keep killing yourself when you've had a bad game and starting again. You just got to go for it and practice and just keep going. You've got to have an understanding wife as well. Absolutely, she is actually <laughs> very understanding. I was going to say. You obviously do your attempts at live events, and I must have seen you about five or six times at different events, at Blackpool and, and Play and all these sort of other places. But you must have practiced at home on your little cabaret, because your cabaret goes everywhere with you, doesn't it? You used to pop it in the back of the car and bring it with you, with a video recorder and your little drinks holder on the side and the, and the screen on the top to watch, let, let people watch you play. But you must have played at home quite a lot. No. Really? It's just so, it, put the record straight so people know, you know, you see people who watch me play must think god he must play for months and months at home all the time and his yeah, wife yeah. so but i've probably played i've never played a, a proper practice game at home wow really never oh my the lord time, the only time i've ever used my cabaret pac-man cab is when i played live on twitch tv ever and i've never played at home i'd switched the cab on and i'd played a few boards and practiced you know on the like the apple yeah. and the you know the great boards but to do a proper game to have some proper practice before an event i'd only ever played live on twitch wow. that's it because as you say you know a, a good game's four five six hours and you can't be doing that with your you know work and you know you've got to see your wife and everything else so yeah i can understand that i suppose yeah absolutely i think i had three split screens on twitch and i had two split screens one was on a... And it's another thing to put the record straight as far as emulation is concerned as well, Vic. Mm -hmm. Because the first cab I had when I got back into the hobby was a, can, a Japanese candy cab. 
Oh, right. So, not that I'm against MAME or emulation. I actually got that off Tony Temple. That's when I first met Tony, because I bought a candy cab from Tony. Oh, right. So, I only really got that because it was it was going to then be my Pac-Man machine, so I could practice, Yeah. but obviously not use the emulation side. You know, I've got... It, it's not as if I'd completely dislike MAME. So, the record straight, my first cab was actually a, a MAME candy cab. Yeah, MAME is great for stuff. Even I like playing the real boards, because... We, our challenge this week is, is Mr. Driller, and I, mm-hmm. I was playing it on my horizontal pony with the, an original board in there, and yeah. my wife was playing it. She's really good at it as well. She's, it's lovely to have her play with me, and I thought, oh, I'll <laughs> play it on this one next to the The cab next to it is a Naomi with, with Mame in there, and I was yeah. playing it, and it, it didn't feel anything like the one next to it, because when you play a game, you know, you might have played it years ago, and you play, oh, this is just like I remember. I remember. But when you play yeah. an original one on an original cap or you know original hardware at least, yeah. there is a lot of differences, and we both enjoy it better on the PCB. Definitely. Do you know, do you know as well, Vicar? There's certain things as well, and it's like I was saying before, we're we're quite lucky. We're, we're unlucky because we're older, mm-hmm. but but we're quite lucky because we remember what it was like to play in the arcade. Yeah. So you you've been to Fun Spot before. Yeah. There's several guys been to Funspot, and when you walk into Funspot and you can smell the machines, you can smell the monitors, mm. you hear the ambient noise, you can hear the 80s music playing in the background, you can touch the cabinet, you can feel the, the, the joystick, you can feel everything about it, the arcade that you remember when you were younger. So it, it's a completely different experience, and I think we, we appreciate it more because we, we experienced it back in the day. Whereas if someone was to play on a uh, a main cab, for example, with a 60-in-1 board, mm. and they went on, then had to go on the original arcade machine, although it would feel different, it's slightly different in your mind because you know we've had the advantage of playing back in the day, and that was so important for me as well. If only we could bottle that. Absolutely. That'd be lovely. But it stays in your memory, and it was so important for me because I had all the memories from when I played you know, really early days back in the day. Mm. And I remember the, the, the crowds and the people used to say, well done and congratulations and, you know, you're a great player. But I, I kept hold of that and I've still got it with me now. So when I eventually got the perfect game, um, went up on the stage, still absolutely like a zombie because to stop yeah. after such a long time. And you'll see on James's, I'm sure James is going to um, publish the footage eventually. Yeah. You'd almost think that I'd be jumping up and down cheering. Not at all because you're so still in the zone and it took me near the best part of 48 hours to come down from that wow did you believe it when you first did it do you actually believe you think oh my god i've done it yeah i mean i knew i'd done it but it doesn't sink in properly when you think of the gravity of because you think then how long it's took you false promises almost because each game you know you've said it yourself when do you think you're gonna get the perfect game is it this game mm. and I, I would say yeah, every single game I play, I honestly believe this is the game. Once you, once that goes out your head, you may as well forget it. Yeah, because you've you've had a few near misses, haven't you? Yeah, I had a you know near perfect game. I had a perfect eat in Blackpool, which means everything was eaten perfectly. But I lost a life on oh, board yeah. twenty, yeah. and that cost, that cost me ninety points on the split screen. So how do you deal with those situations? Because you you're not like me. I mean, I'd be just sweary, Mary banging the controller and just walk off in a huff and then sort of calm down later no, on. Not at all, because the way you need to look at it is is that if you're moving forward, it's progress, yeah? Yeah. So if your score keeps getting higher and higher, just, I've said it to other Pac-Man players and even the guys who are you know, getting split-screen scores, but they're saying, oh, well, I only got 3,250,000, for example. I'm only. 80,000 away from a, from your score, which is big as far as, you know, uh, perfect game's concerned. Yeah. But you need to keep either writing your score down 
or submitting your score to a database, whether it be UK VAC or Twin Galaxies, whichever takes your fancy. Yeah. And then you need to get yourself established, yeah? Mm. People realise who you are then, that you're a, a serious player and you're, a, most importantly, a contender, yeah? Yeah. And then when you can, go to these events. You know, whether or not you go, you can, you're fortunate enough to go to America, show your face, get to Blackpool. There's lots of original cabs there. Get there. There's plenty of people there. You, you'll meet so many like-minded people as well. And keep playing. It's the most important thing. And keep pushing your score forwards. Definitely. For all these years you've been trying it, you've been doing a little bit of charity work to help out. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Well, one of the important things for me is, is when I got back into it, is even when me and Tony went to, to Fun Spot, we went with um, a few other guys as well, poor Drury being another. There was lots of fun being had. And obviously we'd spent X amount of money on mm. having fun with video games. Yeah. It's it's fun to a certain degree, but when you play competitively, the fun starts to, to drop a little bit. But what I thought was that it wouldn't be great if people do these things, they go on, they do the marathon, you know, they do egg and spoon races, you know, in doing a London marathon, they raise money. So why not just play Pac-Man? Have the serious side, obviously, going for these huge scores and, you know, perfection and everything. But just to make it a bit more interesting and to make it more rewarding, it's been really rewarding for me because I lost my mum in December 2013 and she, I lost her from um, a brain tumour, cancerous tumour. Mm-hmm. So I thought, why not now? I'm just going to raise a bit of money, raise a bit more awareness and at the same time really dig deep. And it's it's rested on my shoulder also when I've been playing because as much as I've been really up for getting a perfect game um, and joining the sort of like the elite club in effect, getting a perfect Pac-Man, Mm-hmm. The fact that I've got there and raised money and raised awareness and people have have enjoyed it and we've had you know some fun and a bit of a laugh along the way has been so important. So for the likes of the British Heart Foundation and um, Bright Red Blood Cancer Research, yeah. the to- the totals over the years and I think it's been over three years is around about twenty two hundred pounds now. Wow, good eye. It's people are still donating because now yeah. Tony did the post on Twin Galaxies as well, um, just to raise a bit more awareness. Mm-hmm. People still throw in a few pounds and I had it on a poster as well under the monitor when I was playing that people can actually text as they're standing there watching they can text right. you know, IPAC 83 it was 7,070 the number and it's all free to, to, to donate mm. so you can, you can donate a pound while you're watching so I thought it was really good maybe I could have had a bucket next to the machine but it, you know it's something that you know raise some money for um, for charities that you know I'm sure you know affects lots of different people you know around the country around the world absolutely yeah what, what we'll do, John, is we'll publish the uh, details for these charities on, on our website as well. So if anyone wants to uh, throw a few quid in for those excellent charities, they can do. Yeah, great stuff. And it, it just continuing from the, as far as the charity thing was concerned, um, you, you watch a lot of world records on, on video games and you've got to have 100% concentration and you can come across as being quite stern and you know quite a boring guy because you need to be focused all the time. Mm. But it it's adds the human element to it as well for me that this isn't just about me, I'm just about me getting a world record score, it's about everything, it's about people, it's about the hard work that not only I put in to get a perfect game, but the hard work that all the people have to contribute to my game, so it was a, it was a bit of a, a, a way of me returning the favour, and I thought the charity thing was was ideal. Yeah, brilliant. So now you've achieved Studley's mission, uh, <laughs> what's going to happen to your Pac-Man Cabaret machine? Are you going to put it on a plinth in your trophy room? And never play it again? <laughs> or 
at least you won't have to cut it around with all, to all the different events anymore now you've done it. I've not really decided what to do with it, to be honest with you, and I don't really want to sell it um, because... No, it's a beautiful machine. I've seen it so many times. It's a lovely machine. You can't get rid of it. At the same time, Vic, I don't want to keep it and put it in a glass box and say, you know, there's my perfect Pac-Man machine. It will probably end up being auctioned for charity. I expect right. that's the way. You can always put Frogger in it. <laughs> no <Play> Frogger. <laughs> Just convert it with a 16 one. Oh, no, don't do that. I'll, I'll lend you my Frogger board. <laughs> so, what is next for you? Do you fancy your hand at any other records now? Mate, you're pretty good at some of the games I know of already. Yeah, probably going to move on to one round track and field. I think it's going to be next. And yeah. the, the reason why I've gone for that one is purely because of age and you need to have fast fingers to get you know a big score on one round track and field. Absolutely. And it's not going to take you too long either, because one round of track and field isn't that long, is it? Yeah, but the thing is, when you say that, when Hector got the world record, I think he was trying for two and a half years. Oh, wow. So Kelly, Col- can't remember his surname, I can't pronounce it, Kobawashi, Col- Col- whatever his name was, mm-hmm. he had the world record on one round track and field, and it went back to 1985. That long. So when it was beaten, it was 18, 17 years in the making, but H- Hector was doing it for years. He's got a cocktail original um, track and field. Which I think is the machine that you know if you're going to go world record. It's the ideal one to do because of button placement. Ah, I see. Yeah, it's going to be something that similar to the likes of Crystal Castles. It's not a very long game, mm-hmm. but if, if you think you're going to stand a chance of getting a world record on the likes of Track and Field One Round or Crystal Castles, you're going to have to put in hundreds of games to to get near them world records. Yeah, uh, we, we spoke about this before because Crystal Castles has got so many secrets. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's a timed game as well, but I mean, it's got a lot of secrets and it's a, it's a finite game. It ends at a certain round, doesn't it? Absolutely, and it's like like you said, there's a there's a time bonus at the end. So ah. you know, this it, it's it swings and roundabouts, and there's an element of luck in any game, yeah. But more so in track and field because although you you'll be skillful to hit the board, for example, which gives you a slight boost in in, in your speed and the long jump, for example. Yeah. There's an element of luck, especially in the hammer. You can be accurate at releasing the hammer, but you've got to release it down the bottom line so you get the longest throw possible. But to put all them events together and to almost, in effect, have your fastest or highest or furthest scores into you know one round, there mm-hmm. is an element of luck. So it does take hundreds of games, but... I'd probably like to go for the track and field one because, like I said, your fingers can only last so long and you, you yeah. need, you know, you've got to be able to run fast, period. Yeah. Typical of you actually saying that because I was, I was thinking you might say Berserk or maybe Crystal Castle because I know you're good at those as well. But with track and field, it's going to be like Pac Man. It's going to be perfect. You're going to have to do, because some, some of the events you get three attempts, you have to do that three attempts perfect every time. Otherwise, you won't be in a chance to, to get that world record. And you've only got. You know, say you've got three attempts. You want three attempts being perfect. You can't just do one, fail it, do the next. It's okay. Then the third one, really good. You've got to do three really good ones every single time. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, Vic. It's you don't actually have to be. If you look at, at Hector's world record running, you can actually watch it on YouTube. Yeah, he points out. He does little video texting in between that he, that wasn't as far or as fast as as he would have expected. Yeah. So you don't have to be that perfect to get the world record at the moment on track and field. Oh, right, I see. Yeah, so th- there's definitely room for improvement. But when I say room for improvement, the world record score, I think it's 98, his score, 95-8. Yeah. Um, just, to, just to, if you got 92, you're still miles away from it. Um, yeah. It's like Crystal Castles, you know, it's to get anywhere. If you, if you can get 900,000 points, is an immense score. But the world record's 910 and 10,000 extra is a huge 
Yeah, absolutely. So you've got to get yourself a cab then, I suppose, a track and field cab. Yeah, possibly. Um, it's going to obviously have to be on original hardware as well. Yeah, um, definitely. But there's a few cabs that I'd have to line up. Berserk's definitely one of them because, you know, on slow bullets, I know with enough practice I've got a, you know, a chance of giving that score a, a, a shot as well, which nice. is a huge score. It's nearly 300,000 points that, that Joe West got, well, it was last year, Free Play Florida while we were there. Wow. Amazing score, but something really to, to push for. And 1942 as well. I'd love to have a crack at Martin Bedard's world record. Oh, wow. You're not asking for much then? Well, it's just really, I was lucky enough to, back in the day, like I was saying about Pac-Man, the, there were certain games that, that I, I became really good at. Um, hmm. And fast forward and now, you know, I've still got the knowledge and I've still got an element of the skill I needed to possibly challenge for a, a really big score. And also to put the UK guys back on the map. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Cracking gamers. You know, I watched some of the guys play, like Sean, um, David on 1942, yeah. the way those guys were bouncing off each other. It, amazing stuff. It really was great to watch. And then even when you, you, you go to the, you know, these um, expos and the meetings mm-hmm. and you see the guys playing against each other, having a laugh as well, but also being slightly competitive. Yeah, absolutely. On, on your podcast as well, you know, post up the scores, let's see you've got the high score. Although it's done with a, you know, it's, it's good fun. There's definitely an element of, hang on a minute, I want to get the highest score here. Oh, how could you say such a thing? Definitely. Definitely competitive, especially against Sean. <laughs> even, even like Sir Stephen Kielty, you know, SM Readers. You see that, that lad play, he's a fantastic gamer. Yeah, I have. He's um, really good. Yeah, he could go over to Fun Spot and he would really stand out. He's a great gamer. So it's the likes of them guys that, you know, represent the UK. That's mm. all like to say there's lots and lots of great gamers here so next event for you then john can you actually go to an, an event without the cab and just enjoy yourself rather than trying to get your high score now yeah the thing is with the cab as well just probably rewind into the you know you're saying about playing at home mm-hmm. i've not had the cab at home for i think it's 18 months oh wow really well it's just been james brindle you know rgp yeah. he's had the cab he's looked after it and huge thanks james knows what this means to me because he was there when i got the perfect game mm-hmm. He was there in support. He helped me set up. He's looked after the cab. He's given electrical tests. So I owe, owe a lot to James as well. So, you know, I thought I'd make sure I'd give him a huge shout-out as well. Absolutely. I was going to ask you, is there any other people you'd like to thank? Because, you know, there's a lot of people supporting you along the way. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, James is one of the guys, of course, because he's looked after the cab. He's had his, you know, his blood, sweat and tears, getting them off lorries, and it's included my machine as well. So, yeah. you know, it's great of him to... To do that and he, he understands and i give him a big man hug after the perfect game as well so right. you know he's got plenty of love for him there's loads of guys yourself included everyone who everyone who turns up the events sean all the guys who sh- shook my hand and said you know well done or good luck it means everything so for all the guys that listen and you you know who you are as well i can't name everyone because it'll take so long yeah. huge thanks to you all and the reason why i got a perfect game it wasn't just the application and people thinking, wow, isn't he fantastic at Pac-Man? The reason why I got that far is because of you guys. Just remember that. Excellent. And talking about thanks and, and, and stuff like that and a little being a bit famous, I understand you've got a playing card with your face on it. Is it a playing card? Or is, is, is this it, the, the Walter Day's um, uh, the tra- trading, trading card. cards? That's it. It's trading cards. What's that all about? Yeah, there's been a few. I think the original one was... It was quite an important one, the original one, because it was the... And I, I like to remember this fact is because I had the highest Golden Age score um, on Pac-Man, a verified score, and that was 3,221,000 in, in June 1983. Oh, right, it's for that one. So, 
Yeah, that's one of the ones. I'm, I'm proud of Perfect Pac-Man, of course, but I'm really proud of that because of when I got that, I was only 14 at the time. God, yeah, that's immense, isn't it? Just, just before my 15th birthday, but, you know, if I was in America at the time, I would have been world champion, and who knows, you know, what it would have went to from there. But, you know, in recognition of that, Walter did a trading card. Um, mm-hmm. You've probably seen it before. It was like a gold medal on a tra- on a trading card. Yeah, I do like the look of them, actually. I think I think the Broken Token guys have got their own one as well, so I'm a yeah. little bit jealous. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's one of the trading cards. There was another one for Near Perfect Batman from Blackpool. Oh, right, okay. So I'm sure there's probably going to be one in the pipeline for Perfect Game as well, because he tends to do one for the Perfect um, Games. Good old Walter. That is brilliant. I love that. Yeah, fantastic Walter. And obviously he's another one of the guys who, you know, it's so many. Even when I was in Free Play Florida last year, Bill was so supportive. You know, he said that you're going to do it. This is how you're going to feel. He was very supportive. And when he did his talks, and I was actually playing at the time. You know, I couldn't um, be in the hall when he was doing his talks. But, you know, he, he really did lift my game as well. And it was important that I, I had in sort of endorsement from, from Bill as well. Yeah, he's a bit of an ambassador, I think, for high school as well, Billy Mitchell, isn't he? Absolutely. And, it's you know, for people who think, you know, he's not a nice guy and everything. Oh, he is. If you meet him, you know, he has a chat with you. You talk about, you know, what games you play or what your game and accomplishments you want, what you want to do. And he, he really is a, an ambassador. You know, once you've got him on board and that, it really will, you know, it's, it really helped me anyway, for sure. Hmm. So all we need to do now, John, last thing I was going to say is we need to somewhere to watch your record, but it's not quite up on YouTube at the moment. No, like we were saying before, um, Vic, before, obviously, we've, We've come on to the, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm halfway through at the moment. I've actually converted it because it was a AVCHD file on a my JVC camcorder, but I didn't have the software, so I've downloaded the software and I've converted it to an AVI file. Yeah. So they're huge AVI files. They're 3.5 gig each because, you know, it's obviously because of the length of the video. So I'm halfway through that anyway. It'll be on YouTube, I expect, it may, if I stay up late enough tonight, I, I want to get it up on YouTube because I know it's safe then yeah. and I need to get it over to TG so they can just verify it and, you know, update the scoreboard with a new score. Yeah, excellent. Uh, hopefully by the time this podcast comes out in a, well, the end of the week, it should be on anyway. So we will put some links on there when we find out when it's on. It'll definitely be on by then, Vic, for sure. Excellent. Well then, John, um, I've asked you enough questions, I think. I'll let you off. Thank you very much for joining us. Fantastic, and thanks for the opportunity as well. And, you know, just to, to finally sign off, I'd like to, to thank everyone personally. And when I see you at the next events, I'll buy you a drink. It may be water because it would be too expensive to buy everyone an alcoholic drink. But <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks very much, and I've appreciated all the support. And if you need any tuition on Pac-Man or if you want to go through any tuition on games while I'm there, by all means, I'm there. Cheers, John. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks very much, Vic. You can download or play the podcast, read all the show notes, and leave feedback at www.10pencearcade.co.uk You can email me at vertvic at 10pencearcade.co.uk You can also reach us on our Facebook page. You can tweet me at 10pencearcade and you can tweet Sean at Sean Holly. We'd love to hear from you for game suggestions, arcade pickups and stories or any of your personal thoughts on anything we may have covered. 